0: This week in Retronauts, no David Hader impersonations allowed. And welcome to the latest episode of Retronauts for whatever the hell date this is. I'm Jeremy Parrish, hosting and with me in the studio, which has a nice, heady, swampy (laughs) man stench to it already after two hours.
1: Jose Otero from IGN. What's up, Jeremy? Ooh. Ooh. Welcome back, Jose. Reunited, united, and it feels so good. It does. Yeah. Not hey, so Hey, Jeremy. This is Shane. Oh, yeah, Shane's that's... out.
0: I think that's a. Morris change.
2: Oh, wait. Did I miss? No. That, that's more. It's um, a keeper impression.
0: Yeah, I was going to oh. say, that's not David Hater. I also like how you guys. David Hater, have... you got to drag it out.
2: I also enjoy about modern retronauts is that in this uh, Patreon world, you kind of like, you know, you've, got, you've done away with dates and numbers. You don't care. Like nothing is catalog. It's all ephemeral. We're postmodern. Yeah, it's, it's all old anyways, right? right? It's all ephemeral. It's all just
0: data. I'll, also, we don't know when we're going to be publishing stuff. When yeah. you do – when you stack up three months' worth of podcasts at a time, it's kind of hard to know. So that's – that's, that's it's really pragmatism. It's modern. I'm, I'm going to guess that today is August 8th.
3: That's fair. We'll see how wrong I am. Yeah.
0: But the plan for this episode is to bring it out closer to the uh, – close
3: to the launch of Metal Gear Sound <clears> V, <5, throat> the, the finale of the series in many ways – and then finally, I'm Bob Mackey and uh, Donald is my favorite Sutherland and I found out today that I'm Shane's worst enemy. So uh, this is going to be a fun record.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty good strongly. It's just that when I listen you're to that, you're
0: not
3: Shane's worst. Enemy. That's true.
2: I tend to disagree with most of what you say.
0: The fact that he's so strident about not liking <laughs> your opinions means he likes you Aww, actually. That's it's good how Shane, it's how Shane's show love. You can least, Shows affection? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it could be worse. Like he could regard you the way he does Jar Jar Binks, which is very affectionately, which actually means deep-rooted loathing and hatred. It was
2: was Jar Jar's – it was Senator Jar Jar's vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum that brought about the rise of the empire. Exactly. How can you admire
0: that? His
2: naivete is an inspiration. No, he's a
0: fool and he's easily (laughs) manipulated. He was played like a damn fiddle. Just like Big Boss and and Master Miller. That's a back. parallel.
2: Nice. That's a parallel I wasn't expecting.
0: Hot damn! I brought it full circle already. I uh, have sort. to end the show now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yes, we've brought Shane and Jose in here because we are talking about Metal Gear. We have done a Metal Gear episode of Retronauts in the past, but it was a long time ago. It was in the olden days. We don't have the copyright to republish that episode on our site anymore. So you're getting a new one. And really, a lot has changed in five years, and not just war. Um, it's uh, it's it's. I, although, really, well, like if you I, think about it. Kojima knew all about drone strikes way before we had them. Yeah, that's Come true. on, no, I mean the um, <laughs> the, the Metal Gear series has actually been. Fairly prescient most of – ever since Metal Gear Solid 2, really. Right. You're kind of jumping ahead. I, that's, yeah. That's but, part of the
2: conversation I was having with Jose on the way over here. It's like MGS2, the further away you get from it, when you go back and actually pay attention to it. I feel
0: like it, Metal Gear Solid 2 is the most important game of 2015. It's like the yes. WikiLeaks game, really, it right? Is, it is. It is.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, you know –
0: I'm not the first person to say that. No. No, it, it's no. – it's, um, it, I mean – you can say what you want about Kojima, but occasionally he nails it. And it's not like a clock being right two times a day, even if it's right. uh, well, stopped. But it, it's like he was really a step ahead there.
2: And, you know, as I was approaching coming to do this podcast, I was like, you know, I wasn't sure if we were talking about just Metal Gear or the whole thing. Everything, you know, it's hard to wrap your brain around this whole franchise. For those of us who has followed it from the very beginning, but in many ways, I think it's unique in that there are very few creator-driven franchises born out of Japan that have evolved in such a way and in with such a serious self-reflexive tone mm. and like trying to say things and evolve and change and trying to, you know, keep this really coherent, bizarre chronology continuing. It's, you either love it or you hate it, but those of us who have kept with it, I think it's kind of singular.
1: When the 3D games all have unique themes, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, you know, Metal Gear Solid was post-war, like what happened with nukes in Russia. Or, like you said, the digital age and what that means for us and in digital information. But 3, Metal Gear Solid uh, 3, to me, I'm still, like, it, the theme is who do you serve? And what does that mean? Yeah, and and I think Snake Eater, for me,
2: is like the most fully formed perfect game. Mm. But it's not the most, you know, I think MGS2 is more uh, brilliant in its uh, audacity of its narrative or whatever. But like, yeah, Mm. it's kind of unique in all of video gaming
0: for me, this franchise. Well, and that's why I want to do this episode because this really is sort of the twilight of the Metal Gear series. I mean, after Metal Gear Solid Five comes out... It seems pretty likely that Hideo Kojima will no longer be with Konami, no longer be attached to the series that he has shepherded for the past 25 years. The fact that he's been with Metal Gear running and guiding the show along like a single continuous narrative for a quarter of a century is unparalleled anywhere in video games. I mean – Yeah, Shigeru Miyamoto still works at Nintendo, but he is not personally overseeing the direction of every Mario game, and in fact is actually telling people, please take all the story out of this game because it's inappropriate. We don't want story. Um, Whereas Kojima is really, has built this world, and even though, you know, with every game he goes in and kind of like changes little details about what happened in the last game, (laughs) he's not afraid of retcons. Like, it's still, it's still very, like I said, unique in games, and Losing that, I think, is is a pretty momentous moment for video games because it does mean like that last auteur franchise connection is being cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it's really a shame, even if you don't like Metal Gear. Although— there, there are lots of r- reasons not to like Metal Gear. I think
2: all of us who finished MGS4, you know, we remember that scene at the end where our hero is try cannot pull the trigger to end his own life, spoiler alert— and I felt a lot of people, myself included, at that point felt like maybe Kojima was, you know, he was. It was a parallel with can he leave his own franchise? Can well, he? Clearly no,
0: there? because right. he's tried
2: many times. Right. But like, and now, you know, now that it really will end ostensibly, like I, do, I am curious, like the finality of this ending. What we will see at the end
3: of mm. a Phantom? Yeah. How a- long has he threatened that since the second Metal Gear Solid yeah. leaving? Like, yeah, yeah. 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 The three th- was in someone else's hands, right? Right. And, and then, he then he came, came in back in because he was like, you're screwing it up. Bro. And the trailer called attention to that, like Kojima's back.
1: Yeah, was that where the kept you waiting chair? thing came from? That trailer for Metal Gear Solid Three? Uh, no, I feel like kept you waiting huh, was, I mean, for, uh, my earliest memory of it was Metal Gear Solid, yeah. but it was more him reassuming the director's chair and just kind of them kind of saying okay. this is going to be that game. And then they also took a shot at Splinter Cell. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny.
0: Yeah, so so I think it's fitting that you know as the series comes to an end, as we've known it, uh, the the story kind of comes full circle because Metal Gear Solid Five is really meant as a prelude to the original Metal Gear. And I I am pretty sure the events of that game will lead up to the events that kick off the first game in the series. And it basically is, you know, a time loop. So I I feel like even though this is being kind of severed uh, by corporate disagreements or whatever Shane can't talk about as an insider, um, it is is kind of complete in its fullness at this point. So... Mm. Yeah. So this is a good time for it to end. I'm glad Kojima was able to see through Metal Gear Solid V to its end, assu- uh, you know, assuming it's still going to come out on time, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I feel pretty good about it. So, so anyway, that's a good time to talk about Metal Gear.
3: is metal gear sorry what is metal gear wait i thought you said we weren't allowed to do that i know (laughs) only you can i'm a liar i'm a hypocrite just like you bob damn it
2: (laughs) who else remembers just the print ad with all the weapons that was my
0: first that's that's uh, my that's my first yeah that was
2: my first point of contact with it was like a one-page ad in
0: you know some magazine i've written articles about that ad
2: right yeah and it was like this this big list of this big uh, drawing of weapons
0: yep yeah, I mean that was that was kind of the, what set Metal Gear apart at first was the fact that here was this game that looked like, you know, Commando or something, but it gave you this list of all these different weapons and tools you can get and it wasn't just like here's a machine gun, here's a rifle, here's a handgun. It was like here's a radio transceiver, here's a cardboard box, here's like an antenna for your transceiver. Here's a silencer. Here's rations. Here's a key card. It's like all these right. things you think, well, that's not really going to be just a straight action game, is it?
2: Well, at first glance, it looked like Akari Warriors or Commando or a game like that, you know, a kind of an SNK top-down game, but it, it was not. Yeah. It was really more of like a Zelda-style
1: mm-hmm. screen-to-screen adventure yeah. game. Yeah. No, and it was a stealth action game, which was something that I feel we
0: hadn't really seen at the time. I didn't get that until Metal Gear Solid, even I though I played f- Metal Gear. There
1: was action yeah. involved in it. It just wasn't really like Contra. But it wasn't, I played, really but it wasn't stealth.
0: I played Metal Gear like a Zelda game, or really. You yeah, know. but it, yeah. I, having gone back now to the beginning um, with the understanding of what the series is supposed to be, if you play it as a stealth game, it's really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <clears throat> oh, no one was doing stuff like this. Like, I didn't get it back then, and I played it wrong. But if you play it as a stealth game and you don't move in the cardboard box when enemies (laughs) can see you. I was like, the cardboard box is stupid. Like, I walk around in the cardboard box and (laughs) people still shoot at me. That's not fooling them. No, you have to sit still. I didn't get it. it I didn't really get that you had to avoid line of sight except with the cameras.
2: Also, here in America, it was interesting. I'm sure long-time listeners will know this was during the era where Konami had to make a sub-label called Ultra because Nintendo would only let them publish
0: so many games a year. We just published an episode of Retronauts about Ultra games.
2: Right. So I remember at first not connecting that this was Konami, and like game magazines like Nintendo Power did a big coverage on it, but it was a little bit weird, and like it took a while for me to figure out that this was not just some random game from a random publisher I'd never heard of
0: Well, it's, it's pretty easy, because it says Konami right there on the title <laughs> screen. <laughs> like, that's, what, that's what threw me I, I, I booted up Metal Gear, I was like oh, Ultra Games, I have no idea who this is, but this game looks really cool, I want to play it, and I booted it up and it said Konami, I was like the Castlevania see, I know those guys. So rewi- oh, wow.
2: rewinding though, by this point, the game had already been out on PC-88 in Japan for what, two years? MSX uh, MSX, I'm
0: sorry. Uh, I had a beer. I blame
2: Jose.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks.
0: All you right. didn't bring any here. That's the problem. Okay, yeah, actually, we still haven't answered I the question. What up, is yeah. Metal Gear? So, Jose, why didn't you I, answer? I mean, it because a, you're you're the one who's on task.
1: As a as a series, it is a stealth action sort of adventure, uh, starring sort of what crazy co- uh, covert operatives and and sort of crazy uh, convoluted plot lines to a degree, but still really fun, deep systems. Um, like, no other game I think I've
0: I've played, like, in terms of— Well, there's—I there's um, I, I kind of got into roguelikes around the time that Metal Gear Solid 3 came out, and I was like, there's a lot of roguelike sort of hmm. dynamic interaction between elements in this game. Yeah. So it, it's precedented, but not in action games. Action games don't do that.
1: Sure, no. But I think what's always fascinated me about Metal Gear was learning that in its origin it was about— okay, well, this MSX, there's only so... This technology is really limited. Like, we can't make this kind of crazy action game, so why don't we try and do something different? And what was born from that, to me, is probably the most... Facet- like, that, to, to me, is what sort of epitomizes Metal Gear, is that limitations basically brought about a game about hiding and hide-and-seek.
0: Yeah, I was having a conversation yesterday about how limitations make for better creativity. When you give someone boundaries and say here's what you can do, here's what you can't do, Um, not not so much what you can do, but what you can't do, then people, you know, are are driven to see how much they can accomplish within those restrictions. And Metal Gear did come about because uh, Konami wanted to make an action shooter commando-style game for MSX, but the MSX model that it was on didn't support scrolling natively. So it had to be that, like, flip screen, uh, you know, kind of grid-based style like Zelda. And um, someone else, I, I don't know, they've never said who was the original director on that, but Kojima came in partway through the project and took it over. And, and the only thing he had to his credit at that point was Penguin Land or something. <laughs> it was like this kind of Which, forward-scrolling. I, I have, actually, I have that I mean, for MSX, and it's kind of a simple you know, forward-scrolling. Yeah, it's like an Endless Runner-type yeah. game, it, Slalom or something. The graphics,
2: though, are quite good for MSX, considering the limitations. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, it's
0: it's it's good, oh, but, I mean, it's, yeah. it's very, like, frivolous and light. Right. And he had developed, uh, what was it called, like, War what was it going to be called? Um, There was was a a game that he worked on, but it was never published. Hmm. And um, so then he was brought on and given Metal Gear, and they said, make this shooter for us. And he said, that's not going to work very well. So what if we take out the the pure action and make it about avoiding action? And yeah, from that limitation, the the restrictions of the the Metal Gear, or the, the MSX hardware, and the fact that he had sort of this Document, you know, this the style of game that he had to work within. That's that's what came. That's how Metal Gear came and about. It is
2: interesting. I remember when I first played it. Like the, the fact that I had to like input frequencies into huh. the game. Just the fact that that was like the first NES game where I had to do that. It felt like something I had to do in a PC game. And I was like, this reminds me the complexity of what a PC game might ask me to do. And it funny cause it has roots on PC in a way. Because MSX is a PC, kind, kind of, kind of,
0: kind of. It's a hybrid, yeah. yeah. But it was a weird game.
2: Like, when Metal Gear came out for NES, in, like, me and my friends were like, this one's kind of weird. It's good, but it's not like
1: the other games that we've played. But it was a weirder game for us, right? Because of how it was translated and because we... Yeah. I, I, feel, I feel asleep. Yeah, yeah I feel asleep and all that stuff.
0: Not just the translation, but the fact that, um, you know, in bringing the game from MSX to NES, the, the people who did the port work, it wasn't Kojima's team... Um, they they changed up some of the details in the layout of the fortress, like the buildings are reshuffled and they added the jungle so no, you no longer infiltrate by coming directly into the fortress through the That's water. Right. Um, they, they changed up a lot, but they didn't like program reprogram all the flags and uh, all the message you get, messages you get. So there are a lot of glitches and inconsistencies in the mm. NES game. For the longest time I thought it was broken, but it turns out it's just like you get messages in the wrong place. And uh, eventually, I figured out how to beat it. And even then, at the end, you never actually fight Metal Gear. They right. took that out of the NES version. Right. You just put a bomb on a computer, right? Right. Yeah. It's a supercomputer, and then you have to fight big boss. Yeah. And that's it. But I, I totally, I totally grokked Metal Gear because I was super into GI Joe comics at the time. Not, I was past the toys, but I still really liked the comics by by Larry Hama. And Metal Gear was basically, um, it was a GI Joe comic that you could play. It had a storyline and it had all this equipment. Like Larry Hama's comics were always very much about the gear and about the experience of being a soldier. And, you know, have you ever read his special mission comics? Like the the bit in Metal Gear Solid 3 where uh, Naked Snake gets really, really into talking about uh, the gun that he's found. And he's like, yeah, let's go. He's like a total gun freak uh, but not in like the scary way, just like he's, you know, a nerd about it like that's that's totally something that you would have seen mm-hmm. in a GI Joe comic. So, I mean, I even saw the ad for Metal Gear in a GI Joe comic right. for the first time. So, it, yeah. you know, like it it was this it was it was perfectly tuned to my interest. It, it, I I liked the uh the Kid developed uh GI Joe game that came along eventually, but Metal Gear really was like a, a better experience, a better a better distillation of that concept. With the crazy code names for the bad guys and the huge amount of gear and weaponry, and the communications back with base, it was really good. It was it was very like action RPG ish in a military context.
2: It felt very serious and mature to me, which very few games did at that point for NES, and I felt like. Something older players would be playing, and that was cool
0: that I actually finished it. I don't know.
2: It was. A, it was. I don't know if it I was would unique.
0: say it felt mature to me, like. The story twist is the same story twist that pretty much every action game on NES had. Like, oh, the, the guy who was helping you is actually behind it all. That's
3: every twist Codename, now. Codename <laughs> right?
0: Codename Viper. Sure, but it
1: wasn't as off the walls as like, look at Contra. We're like, oh, we rip right. our shirts off in the jungle and let's just shoot yeah, everything it, with
2: these crazy there's, yeah. guys. There's no it's weird like, aliens. You know? There's no
1: monsters. Nothing yeah. super deformed. Everything's kind of muted.
3: There's a guy don't. called
0: Coward Duck, though.
3: That's
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. It just felt kind of like above it and different and weird and adult. And it was always special to me.
0: Yeah, it it had those like weird movie – oblique, weirdly translated movie references too. Like there's a big guy named Arnold that you have to shoot. There's a guy named Coward Duck who hides and you have to like figure out how to kill him even though he's trying to avoid your gunfire.
1: And how about the cover of the NES game? I mean, Ed, that oh, was okay. oh, yeah. absolutely. Well, I yeah. had, How, hadn't what? seen
0: the original Terminator at that point, so I didn't. Mm, I didn't get the Michael that Bean reference, but is
3: brazen. Yeah, I'll give them that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that, that was like all of those things. The whole DNA of Metal Gear was right there in that first game: stealth and military uh, obsession, and twisty narratives and uh, Hollywood fixations
2: right. and right. infiltrating a base. Oddly enough, it's like well, that really has been the DNA
0: of Metal Gear is like yeah.
2: infiltrating bases.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean there have been a few games that have kind of taken away from that, but but generally it is about like insinuating yourself into an enemy fortress and solo
2: sneaking mission. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, with Metal Gear Solid they started ranking you on how well you avoided enemies and the best players could finish it quickly without ever being spotted without killing anyone aside from like the mandatory uh the mandatory shootouts. So yeah, even though the, the, the concept of, of stealth was kind of opaque at that point because it, that's just not how games were. There was the Sentinel on PCs, and what else was there? Nothing really. But it, the concept of avoiding conflict instead of just digging into it and killing everyone took some getting used to, but it, it, it really has become a definitive element of the series. <laughs>
2: Metal Gear we kind of branch off into two confusing paths of which I'm not familiar enough with either one like both you know I've played Snake's Revenge and I've played Solid Snake but never enough to really love them and I've never finished either one
3: yeah I need to finish Solid Snake yeah
0: I revisited Snake's Revenge recently for a live stream, so I spent like an hour with it. How and... was that? Because I have weird, <coughs> slightly badly tinged memories. Okay, so context first. Um, when Metal Gear came to America, it was much more popular than it had been in Japan. It sold really well here. Great advertising, you know, um, good packaging. It just it, it clicked. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was popular. So Konami immediately green- greenlit a sequel for America on NES. Um, like fast track sequel like get this thing out yeah that that game did not it didn't show up in Japan and it never went to MSX it was made specifically for the American audience of NES gamers who liked Metal Gear so you know it had nothing to do with Hideo Kojima but but, you know you can see that the people who put this game together kind of got the original Metal Gear Mm -hmm. and they weren't as good at designing games as Kojima so it's kind of a mess but like it still gets a lot right and it tries to do some interesting things in the way that you would expect NES sequels to do. You know, just like A Link to the Past or not A Link to the Past, uh, uh, Adventure of Link was like, okay, what if Zelda were a side scroller? This kind of does the same thing. It's like, hey, you know those elevator scenes where you're like you see Snake in the snake si- from a side view and he goes up and down the levels? what if we threw in some sequences where you don't just go up and down the levels, but you actually have to fight enemies? And it became like Russian Attack, like a, except with stealth. And it's brawler, terrible. Like a
2: stealth brawler.
0: No, it's awful. It's just absolutely <laughs> god-awful. Yeah. But, you know, I admire that they tried. Like, they, they looked at the NES market and what was selling in America, and were like, they really like this kind of game, so let's try to build this into the series. <laughs> and it doesn't stray too much from what Metal Gear is. You still have to sneak around, but the idea is... It just doesn't work because, like the line of sights for enemy, you have to like be crawling <coughs> one level below them, and apparently they never look down and see. Oh, there's a guy in bright orange crawling toward me. Um, <laughs> and you you can Very shoot pretty. guys in there, but as soon as you're spotted in the side-on view, uh, you're just swarmed with enemies, and you, you're you're not equipped to be a shooter hero in that. I
1: wonder that if series. the fire camo in Metal Gear Solid Three was a callback to that or not.
0: Because Probably not. Orange. They don't really. They don't really acknowledge yeah. that game. Coachman has no. Sense. He has no
2: ownership of it. Yeah. All. Yeah.
0: Like yeah. he's said. Oh yeah, that was a fine game, but it wasn't his game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of the problems in in Solid or uh, Snakes Revenge, besides the the weird side-scrolling sequences which just don't work, um, is also the fact that the level designs aren't as thoughtful. Like there are a lot of places where you can go from screen to screen. Uh, and if you don't have the binoculars, you can't look ahead mm-hmm. to see where the enemies are, and you'll just walk into bad guys and your cover will be blown. The original Metal Gear was really good about either um, giving you hiding places everywhere you went and making enemy patterns predictable uh, or giving you the means to look ahead and spot where enemies were. Like the binoculars were really important for for looking ahead and avoiding enemy contact. Snake's Revenge doesn't give you those right away. so. So there's a lot of frustrating trial and error. The jungle scene is even worse in um, Snake's Revenge than <laughs> the NES Metal Gear because there's like guys who fly around and you have no way to predict how they're going to move and it seems really inconsistent how they can spot you mm-hmm. and you have to like – I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. So it's not as good a game as Metal Gear but it's not a complete pile of garbage either.
2: I regret not finishing it. I remember like getting to a point and getting frustrated as a kid and just giving up. I still own it, so. Yeah,
0: yeah I don't know if I will ever beat that game, but yeah. but you know the fact that that existed, um, kind of rekindled the series, like briefly, could, but not not for long. You know? no, it it okay. Yeah, there was one game that came after that for then like an eight year hiatus. But what Kojima created in Metal Gear Two was the template for all future Metal Gear games. Like, the first game was this kind of, like, here's the raw materials, but the second game was Whoa. so Metal so, so, Gear. So
2: when did Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake launch relative to the first MX, MSX game in Japan?
0: It was three years later. Yeah. And it was just, it felt like a generation ahead. And
2: it was on, it was on disc, not cartridge, right? Or?
0: I think it's a cartridge Okay, game. it is a cartridge, you're right, yeah. Um... Not that I've ever owned the MSX version of Solid Snake because held, it's like $250. Yeah, it's quite right
2: rare. I've held it in my hands and not purchased it. It's, it's that really and expensive.
0: SD Snatcher both. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, um, so, yeah, like Kojima got wind. Like actually someone told him, hey, you know, we're making this uh, kind of bootleg sequel. You should do a legit one. So he made a game specifically for the MSX audience which means only in Japan. So it's like there's these two counterparts. There's the American Metal Gear sequel and the Japanese Metal Gear sequel. And the Japanese Metal Gear sequel is basically the same game as Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid 2. Like what he created there in 1990 was so good that everything ended up being
3: um, pretty much based on that. It reminds me of like uh, A Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time, that relationship. It's like we want to go back to this thing that worked really well so we can have it working in 3D. That's that's kind of how I saw Did it. Did he
2: make Snatcher in between those or was Snatcher after Solid Snake?
3: Yeah, Snatcher was 88, so he made
0: Metal Gear then Snatcher. Okay, cuz
2: something clearly changed. He was emboldened. He was, you know, like I think he was feeling his own vision. Like this is the like I can, you know, I can I can make a much more grander game with m- a lot more
1: story, really. Sure. Yeah. Has a uh, has it ever come to light why exactly Metal Gear Solid 2 Solid Snake never came here until they put it in uh, in a later like Sub- collection? Subsistence.
0: Yeah, yeah. Subsistence. Mm-hmm. Because it was an MSX game,
1: but you mentioned it earlier. Like it was, it did so well here on the NES. Like as Konami, as as the people hmm. in charge of the money,
0: why not say, "Well, we can take this and put this over there"? Well, so, I mean, we got Snakes Revenge, which was specifically made for us, and I mm-hmm. think. Well, in- I, I really think that it would have been impossible to get Metal Gear 2 onto the NES. It was yeah. it was a more complex, more content-rich game.
2: Yeah. It may have been the era, because I'll say at the time, I wasn't aware that there was the sequel we didn't have at first. Whereas, like, with Final Fantasy V, for example, of that era, we knew we weren't getting a game. We're second in Tessie three, But, like, I think there... People weren't quite aware that this game existed for a while here in
0: America, it, because it was for a platform that never came out. Here. Yeah, but I mean that that doesn't have any impact on what Konami would have done, right?
2: But there was there, at the time there was no outcry of this game left yeah, behind that, that could have been ported to Super uh, Nintendo. That, that's something. not how
3: that's not how <laughs> corporations make their decisions right. anyway. Yeah. It um, could have been like Metal Gear Three for Super Nintendo in 1992, but it just was a missed opportunity, I guess.
0: Yeah, and there was too much story. They couldn't write in, you know, a new story in the manual about Colonel South and Uh, Hiarola Kakamemi. That was an era of (laughs) Konami,
3: wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and it was an era of really bad translation or just difficulty in localization writing games. So when you take something that's that story-heavy, I almost wonder if it's probably (laughs) one of the most story-heavy games of its
0: time. Yeah, I just feel like it really was. I I feel like they couldn't have brought Metal Gear 2 effectively to the U.S. It was too much game for the NES. And it wasn't enough game for the Super NES, I think. Right. I mean, in terms of substance, yes. But the visuals definitely would have seemed dated as soon as the Super NES came out. I guess it could have come to Genesis. Yeah. Hmm. It actually – I think it would make a good Genesis game. Add a little bit of extra, like, shading and detail to it. But like the music got worse? Sorry, uh, I said uh, it. I did it. <laughs> and I was trying to be nice about Sega. But, no. but
2: like, at what point did, did any of us attempt to play this game via nefarious means before it was legally available here in America?
3: Back, I, back oh, when – oh, go oh, ahead. Bob. I tried emulating it, but it was with an emulator that didn't have a, um, like a controller mm-hmm. input kind of setup. So, so unplayably so, hard. Yeah, and then I got the subsistence and I made it like an hour and I was like, right. uh, well, I need help.
2: And I think most Metal Gear fans kind of had that same – tragic cadence where we went, really wanted to play it. When Subsystems came out, we started it, got some level into it, and kind of gave up because it's archaic by modern standards.
3: Yeah.
0: But. Yeah, you can tell it came after Kojima made Snatcher because it has these weird adventure game elements to it. Yeah. Like the really infamous one where there's something that only happens at night, and so you have to trick a soldier into thinking it's night by getting a bird egg, mystery bird egg from an incubator and then hatching it and it turns out to be an owl and the soldier will hear the owl hooting of course, and then think, oh, it's night. Obvious. And, that's yeah, such was, a PC like, adventure game. <laughs> Snake cannot just make an owl noise. Like, you, you can tell that he was in kind of adventure game mode and was trying to integrate. I mean, where, where Snake's Revenge tried to integrate action platformer elements, uh, Metal Gear 2 tried to integrate adventure game elements and I don't think either were fully successful but the adventure game elements did seem to jive better with what Metal Gear was about. So, you know, the, a lot of the beats and the mechanics of Metal Gear 2 were copied over pretty much wholesale. Like everything from, um, you know, some of the, the encounters with like a Hind D to um, the key card system, which was changed for Metal Gear 2, to the radio codec with, uh, you know, the Master Miller and – uh, you you meet a lady there and she helps you out and maybe there's some hanky panky who knows. What about the and there's uh,
3: gray fox and yeah. What about the using the ketchup on yourself? Is that in Metal Gear Two? It feels like another very adventure gamey thing. Like use ketchup on self to escape. I don't think that's an adventure gamey thing because that's that's an Easter egg. Is oh, that,
0: that, that an Easter egg. I guess you have to wait for the ketchup, right? Like it's it's somebody's no. There's a, there's you? a couple of different ways to get out of the jail cell in Metal Gear Solid. Okay, okay yeah, yeah, that's One right. of them is you can trick. Uh, Johnny Sasaki <laughs> by falling on the ketchup and making him think you're dead yep. but if you bungle it, he'll be like oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Really ketchup? and he'll just walk off and it does not work again Yeah,
1: I love that there's a line of dialogue for that though and that was one of the things that I'm not sure if in Solid Snake or the original if there was sort of that mentality of Easter eggs or multiple ways of getting out uh, or, or of, uh, of handling a situation Like I think that's the one thing about the series as a whole that I admire a lot
0: yeah, I mean that was really when 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 Metal Gear Solid came out, you know, there was like this 8-year hiatus and then Metal Gear Return
2: You remember the announcement of it? I mean, I do. It was
0: uh, the uh, it was e three Mel- right, it and was it was E3. like they showed off the ninja
2: fight. Well, they had no. It, so said e three ninety eight. Was my second e three, and they had a CG trailer with ninja. That would, oh, that wow. would have been
0: like eighty ninety seven. Like, it was ninety seven, right? Yeah, you're thinking, I
1: something. remember the CG
2: okay. trailer. Yes. I've seen um, the CG down, trailer and, right, it's bad. and none of that's in. But just the fact, I remember like and like the you know Shinkawa art of the ninja and like those of us who had fond memories of the original Metal Gear, were like, wow, like. Konami's bringing this back and like in this way in this huge high spec AAA brand new platform like it was really exciting before we even knew what we were getting into
0: right yeah, yeah. yeah. my first yeah. my first r- realization of that was uh, I think there was a next gen next generation magazine mm-hmm. cover oh yeah uh, and real. it had like the Shinkawa art of, of Grey Fox or the cyborg ninja yeah. and um, I was like oh man Metal Gear awesome because yeah. like, I, I had actually rediscovered Metal Gear like 1995 or so you know it came out in America in 1998 I loved it and then I kind of moved beyond NES games because that is what children do they sell their NES's and get super NES's but then I was on vacation with the girl I was dating at the time and we stopped at like her cousin's house and had to kill some time and he had an NES this was like 1995 I want to say and one of the games was Metal Gear I was like oh I remember that because you know seven years seems so long when you're younger and uh, so I popped it in and we played a little bit of it and I was like oh man this game was great so, you know, two years later, they announced a sequel, and it was still kind of fresh in my mind, and I was really ready for a sequel.
2: Right, and I think people forget the way graphics looked the first two years of PlayStation 1, <laughs> and Metal Gear Solid suddenly had this very different look. It looked unlike anything we'd ever seen. It had a purposefully limited color palette, yeah, they, which allowed them to to focus on, like, the bigger picture of how everything moved and looked. And well, it, it also
0: gorgeous. had limited camera uh, right. Movements Like it was very much a fixed top-down perspective. It would occasionally come down to give you more impressive views. And you could switch into first-person mode of the binoculars at any time. Uh, and there were, you know, like the Nikita missile. But other than that, it actually really felt faithful to the old Metal Gear games. I remember, you know, once you get inside the base, um, you start kind of like sneaking around tanks that is that is totally straight out of the yep. first base in the original Metal Gear. There's, there's all those tanks parked and you're sneaking around them. But it was so much more immersive. Like you could crawl under the tanks and avoid – Guards, and then you had well, to sneak over the elevator. But it wasn't all just
2: rooms, because there were huge rooms. But it was always top, strict top down. Mm-hmm. Made sense. Right. You understood
0: mm-hmm. the cone division.
2: It was still that stealth mechanic, just kind of blown out in this larger scale.
3: Yeah. Did anyone else have the demo disc for this from that oh, official yeah. PlayStation oh, magazine? Of course. Yeah. I remember calling people into the room and being like, "Hold the controller now, now, now. Feel it as the helicopter goes by the screen, and like it, the vibration went from like the left to the right as the helicopter did. I was like, "This is amazing." Yeah. I, don't, I don't. think did think the demo disc had vibration on it. It did. I don't,
0: I don't remember
2: that. Uh, no, it didn't have. Um, it didn't support DualShock until dual Subsistence. You're totally wrong. As really? As usual. No. No. I the, have the distinct f- memories. The Your
0: memories are wrong. Whoa. No. Metal, metal. Gear. Metal Gear solid, solid did support vibration. That was a big part of it. Yep. But I don't think the demo disc did because okay, the you demo are right, disc, actually. The demo disc <laughs> takes you up to where Maybe uh, the guy was... has the heart attack. And it's like, um, oh, a guy has a heart attack. But then, when you play it, and you've got vibration on in the final game, like as he's having a heart attack, the control- controller starts shaking, and it's just like, oh my god! It's so that like wasn't the feeling his heart attack. Oh. I don't, I don't okay. think it was. Go th- th- here's my question: all Does it matter? B- no. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> Did, the demo, Did the demo go all the way to the boss though? Did it? No, the demo oh, okay. goes all the way to the heart attack, and then it ends. Right. Right. Yeah. And right. there was there was another like there was a video segment that was captured from the Japanese game mm-hmm. of uh, you know the this is Raven's territory. But, um, you know, it's in Japanese.
1: So I will never forget my first uh, run-in with Metal Gear Solid. Like, just knowing what it was. Because I was one of the people who sort of skipped out on the NES game. I just we I had an NES library, but that wasn't one of the games I picked up. Remember an EGM cover story. Like, I still remember the cover to this day. It was very uh, purple and gray, and it had, like, a drawing of Snake, like, just mm-hmm. jumping down, descending on a... On a genome soldier. Oh yeah, I I have that issue. Yeah, I still have that issue at home. And uh, that was also the first time I had learned that Solid Snake existed. And so from that point on, I remember trying to emulate that game and like Bob running into the problem of, well, nothing can support controllers, doesn't matter. But then reading the pages on pages of, wow, after eight years, this game is not only back, but it is better than ever. Um, And then actually getting it in, what was that, 1998, Mm -hmm. right? that, That holiday season and playing through it and you know, even the stuff with vibration just didn't feel like a gimmick. It felt like it was all c- very no, conscious was, of what it was. Yes.
0: There were there it was made made very considerate use of vibration. Like sometimes it would enhance the story. There was the part where um, the, the the most gimmicky part was where you're in the prison cell and Naomi calls you and right. is like, "Put the controller on your neck and I'll give you a massage." And I was like, <laughs> it "Was your arm? It was your arm or the arm? Whatever." <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was a little weird. But that was a little but weird. there was just a lot that the game did that really. Made like very clever use of the medium, you know. Yeah. From from look up the codec uh, on the well, back of the box to even
1: the presentation,
0: right? Like Metal Gear, or excuse me,
1: Mega Man Legends was probably the first game I can remember in the PlayStation era that uh, it was switching between gameplay and story stuff. But it was the same; it looked the same. It looked mm. like the same engine. Mm. And Metal Gear was the only other one that I can remember at that time that really stood out but also that was really conscious of the way it was directed and the way it was unfolded it was a, it was like a blockbuster film and i was just like wait what yeah the, the how is this possible the direction the framing is very filmic
2: mm-hmm. but f- like for me if i think about metal gear solid like what one element of this game really like, blew up my mind it was foxhound it was the idea of this like sentai group of crazy villi- super villains who were the bosses who i was going to fight and those encounters one by one so unforgettably amazing and like it's, for me, that was what took this game to a whole level that like, Metal Gear had never been to. Yeah, and packed with their own each each uh, soliloquy. So good. <laughs> so right. good. I mean, obviously, everyone thinks about Psycho Man as, like how yeah. you know, how clever that was and how it read your mm-hmm. your um, your memory card. But like all those battles are great.
1: Yeah, no, they were fun boss battles. Even uh, even something as uh, early as Revolver Ocelot, which you, I don't know. I look back on it, I'm like, I was really impressed by this, yeah. and I just mm-hmm. remember going, "Wow."
0: Well, I mean, this is like it. you're playing, you're fighting a boss fight. And he's taunting you as you play. He's like, you know, hiding from you so that he can reload his revolver because he only gets six shots. But then he's like making fun of you while he does it, just to kind of piss you off. Right. And, like,
2: the, and the voice acting, I like. Yeah, it was great. This, this was voice a, this is one of the first games. You know, for, that had really great voice acting and good writing and well delivered throughout. You know, it's, I, I it's first. It's the only.
0: It, it's the only great uh, performance David Hader gave in the series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Whoa! He, he, well, I uh, was. Well, no, so he's. He said he like. He was kind of, of doing, lost his voice. He
2: was kind of doing a little bit of like a. You know, he, he, I think after the first one, he kind of like pushed it a little too far mm. at
1: times. You know. Mm. You know. I know. I, I love Snake Eater, but we're not up to that game yet, so I'm not going to. But, you know, it's interesting like to think that this was a fully
2: voiced game when it came out, whereas, like, Final Fantasy wouldn't be till the next generation of mm-hmm. Final Fantasy X to have a fully voiced Final Fantasy. That's
0: know? right. Right, but, you know, it, it was it was a smaller game, too. It was more compact. It's like a 9-hour game, 10-hour game, as opposed to 40 to 60 hours. And, you know, you have a much smaller cast. Um, there is a, a ton of dialogue. It's a massive script.
1: Yeah. No, and like, pro-
0: I, I don't want to downplay it, but it made more sense for a game like that to be fully voiced than for something like Final Fantasy. And even Final Fantasy wouldn't be fully voiced until... Actually, has Jeez. Final Fantasy ever been fully voiced? That's uh, true, no. There's always NPCs <laughs> who are just right, text. That's
1: right, yeah. But uh, it was a fantastic localization by Jeremy right. Blaustein. Well, yeah, I mean, it is incredible work. It's Steve funny rem- was with with remembering, Snapchat. oh, yeah, what, what podcast was it where Jeremy Blaustein was talking all about, oh, wait,
2: it was it this was podcast that if you <laughs> haven't listened to that yeah. that, yeah, this is stop here, go listen to that, come back.
3: Based yeah. on interviews, too, it feels like this was the only Metal Gear solid game to have where the localizers had more freedom and right. more control, and that's immediately why Blaustein didn't do the rest of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, as soon as this game came out, Kojima became a superstar. And with that came a lot of prima donna tendencies and he wanted absolute control over, um, over the localization, even though he's not a native English speaker and he knows English, but not one of the big problems of the series is that he knows English, but not enough to know when something sounds really dumb for a native English speaker. So you have stuff like Diamond Dogs, yeah. yes.
2: <laughs> hey, the whole you, you, and
0: your other David Bowie hating friends, leave us the hell alone. I love <laughs> me some David Bowie, but it's hard to take a military organization seriously when they're named after a David Bowie song. <laughs> Team Ziggy like, Stardust. Yeah, like I'm. I'm not. I, I I like Queen, but I'm not going to name my organization Fat Bottom Girls. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. Like he he loves those references, and he he loves that he knows some English. You know, like. The the whole revengeance thing like there there are some pretty clever multi layered puns in metal Gear um and I'm pretty sure that Kojima comes up with those, but he just doesn't get that actually. Big Boss is a really stupid code name, and it's really dumb for Snake to have like a different nickname every time. There's Punished Snake, then Venom Snake. Actually, it's Punished and Venom yeah, Snake. Yeah, I was gonna bring that
3: up. It's like Punished Venom. Like Snake. he can't
0: he can't narrow it down. Like what it, what cool name should we give Snake this time? I'm like, shouldn't it be it Venomous
1: Ger- Gerund and Animal? Right? That's the that's the, <laughs> the formula. I, yeah, I, I give him a free
2: pass because I'd say ninety six percent of what <laughs> he makes up is actually pretty cool. A lot of it is ridiculous. But, but, yeah, some but, of
0: it's very cringeworthy. But the, compared
2: to like the general output of Bad English, yeah, I think it's above par.
0: But that doesn't mean it should be there anyway it It would be okay for Kojima to take advice from people who might know better than him to say maybe this isn't a good idea I,
2: mean, I, I think he does largely and I still again, I give it credit like you know especially if we if we move forward to mgs two and beyond like a lot of the narrative is so nuanced a lot of the references are correct and you know it's well researched and he does yeah, but it, it's, he does it's get it stiff right.
0: and awkward well like there needs to be there needs to be both it needs to it needs to be nuanced and correct and localized accurately, but it also needs to have a little more personality. And Blaustein did a good job of mm. bringing in the personality. And I don't know that there was really anything that was wrong in the localization. Can you think of anything that's like, oh, no, he really blew this? Nothing comes to mind.
1: Well that's yeah. why when they retranslated it for Twin Snakes, it was such a blow because it was like, wait, why? Why did you have to do that? Right. Should, should we talk
0: about Twin Snakes now? Sure, we might as well. Like um, the there, there were some changes they made that I approve of. Like when I, I said, oh, it's weird that, that Mei Ling has lost her accent because it was so cute. But then someone mentioned, well, you know, she's an American and she grew up and she went to UCLA and lived in California all of her life. So why would she talk like someone who just moved over from China? And I was like, oh, OK. I think well. the same
3: thing about Mr. Miyagi. That's bullshit. <laughs> he grew it, up in America. Well, For those did who he? don't remember. Yeah, he went to an internment camp or uh, his wife did, I guess. Are you talking about Pat Morita or Mr. Morita? I know. uh, But but the character is what I'm talking about. No, I mean the character too.
2: I thought maybe you were talking about the one in the Jaden Smith reboot.
3: uh, That's Jackie Chan. It's going to be
2: silly, but in defense. Where his his wife died in a tragic drunk driving accident. Oh, so no internment camp this time. Back to Twin Snakes. If you don't remember, it's a weird product for the Nintendo GameCube. It was a combination of work between um, Silicon Knights... Nintendo and Konami. How did and Silicon
3: Knights like Kitamura? How right? What, did, what what magic spell did Silicon Knights cast on like Konami and Nintendo? I like I want to know where this clout came from. I asked it before. So he,
1: uh, it's funny because um, we had a uh, we had him on the Dennis Dyack was on our podcast once over uh, at IGN and he did say because we asked about that like how did this happen like what what exactly was did the conversation like? You used like? to work at one up. <laughs> he said, he, "Yeah, <laughs> I did." Um, ne- he said he was sitting in the cafeteria one day and. I think Iwata or... so. Basically, higher-ups came to sit with him and said, hey, we would love... Oh, I think it was Miyamoto. We would love if you worked with Konami to bring Metal Gear Solid to the GameCube. And he was just like, wait, what? Like, really? And that was sort of his response because it feels like he didn't really understand or know why they picked them either to an extent. I mean, Eternal Darkness which is by
2: Silicon Knights, published by Nintendo, is regarded as the best game they made. It was very creative, did a lot of unique things. Sure. You know, they may have thought, oh, you have a unique point of view. You could bring something new to the table for Twin Snakes. Unfortunately, a lot of the changes they made to that game um, damaged the playability of it. Like, the fact that you could switch the first-person view to shoot makes most of the boss encounters really
1: easy if you choose to do it. But I would argue, is was it their fault or was that Kojima's fault? Because didn't Kojima produce this game? snakes? Wasn't that a Kojima game? Just his, put his name's on it. I mean, his name I don't know is what that all means, over it. What does yeah. that mean anymore? Sure, but um, it was clearly like, "Hey, Metal Gear Solid Two was a hit. Let's marry what is considered some of our best game, which was Metal Gear Solid um, at the time." Although it took a while for people to come around Metal Gear Solid Two snake, you know that, um, and marry that with the mechanics from the second game with the first. I do think had it been on a different
2: platform, it might have done, you know, been a bigger deal. Because I think by the time it came out, you know, like, fa- you know, fans of the franchise who happened to have GameCubes bought it, but it wasn't a huge
3: deal. Actually, like, I can kind of see how Dayak was appealing, because I think after Eternal Darkness, people were thinking, okay, what's he going to do next? This is really cool and innovative, and maybe he, people thought he was on the same track as Kojima until Too Human and everything else that happened. Mm-hmm. But um, I can kind of see it now and after thinking about it. I think that's really fair, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, no one knew what the future was going to bring. It was just tears, but no one knew that. Yeah. yeah,
3: but it wasn't just the
1: changes to gameplay that kind of rubbed us the wrong right. way too, right? It voice was also acting, the c- voice acting, the cutscenes, cutscenes that oh, were you mentioned the, incredibly Ryuhei, over the top. that
2: Yuhei Kitamura, the director, Japanese director, directed them, and some of them are great. Like the one before the Battle of the Ninja is really good. It's it like, is, but they're
1: very over the top, very bloody. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very inspired by the Matrix, right? Like uh, down to uh, uh, I, right. I'll never forget that scene: the cyborg ninja floats to the ceiling is wiggling his hand and all of these slashes are happening and he <laughs> yeah. falls down with a piece of concrete and kicks it at yeah. Snake. And I'm just like, what is happening? What happened yeah. to this, this game, this series that I really love? Because the main character wasn't,
0: you know, some sort of a superhero. Yeah, I mean, the whole the whole time in in every Metal Gear game, Solid Snake is always saying, you know, I'm not that great. There's nothing amazing about me. I'm just good at, you know, at, at, at being a soldier. I've, I'm good at following orders and, you know, doing what I need to do. And... Uh, a big part of a big part of the game's appeal, like you said, is his vulnerability. I mean, he ends up getting caught and tortured most games. Metal Gear Solid Two, he's basically being played like a sucker the entire time, like a damn fiddle. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that's he's not the the ultimate soldier in that sense. He's uh, he's not a superhero. He's he's a guy who is just really good at killing and sneaking. And when he gets into those big flashy, over-the-top fights, it seems a little silly.
2: Well, I think we should go back and think about the impact of Metal Gear Solid as well because this did launch into a world before first-person shooters were 33% of the market. You know, this was a A across-the-board, massive success for, you know, adult gamers, teen gamers. It was super cool. It was not weird Japanese. It was, mm-hmm. like, it was a big deal, and it inspired... Splinter Cell inspired a lot of these stealth action games. It really did change the industry.
3: It was money in the bank for Tom Clancy, that's for sure.
2: Yeah.
0: Nope, that was a once in a lifetime. Oh, no, <laughs> my my perfect kept you waiting, huh? It'll never next time. I'll do it, this. Missed it on tape. instead. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, you you missed me breaking my rule again. Um, so we're halfway through this episode and probably not halfway through the series. It's just about to get really good and fucked up. Shane, you you reviewed Metal Gear Solid too, did you not? I For did EGM? not actually. Um, I could have sworn I read your review in EGM. Maybe it was. I reviewed uh, the Xbox. Th- three no. Xbox
1: version Xbox
0: no I remember yeah
1: I did, substance.
2: I, did substance. Review, I did review
0: that I reviewed that that was the first Metal Gear no I no I, I remember reading EGM's review uh, like two or three days before the game came out I and was being like this sounds so
3: weird did the review spoil anything were they uh, were they allowed it was to back then not, or no
0: it was very okay so I did not review it I, I was not the EGM review fan. said something to the effect of. Um, Snake and even to an even greater degree, an untested young soldier Hmm. without saying that's who you play as the whole time. I see. Yes. We've reached the big fake out where Kojima was basically given carte blanche to create any game he wanted because Metal Gear Solid was a huge success, a masterpiece. And Konami was like, do it again. And Kojima was like, I don't want to do it again. He was already balking against fan expectations and trying to subvert what people sort of assumed would be in the sequel. And, man, he really went all out. Well, and the
2: expectation for this game were sky high. It was a new platform. We were so excited about the first one. And
0: oh, I mean, I mean everything right. we had seen about the game right. justified those sky and high expectations. That first trailer well, at so E3. So before that trailer, at this point. At E3 know, 2000. Right. E3,
2: you know, like the hype cycle that we're used to now that the modern gamers used to was still in its infancy kind of finding its way. And at that E3 in Konami's booth, as people w- sat and watched like a 14-minute trailer, all of which was we later found from the beginning of the game, you know, the the, the tanker, um, it was insane. It was the
0: prettiest video game we'd ever seen
2: in our entire lives. It looked so much better than the first Metal Gear Solid.
0: I mean, I I wonder how many PlayStation 2s that – Oh, so it
3: was... Uh, because I, I, you know, We all stood their mouth agape. Like. Hey, I bought Zone of the Enders. I'm sure everyone else did, right?
0: <laughs> this was, but, but this was before that. This was right. before the PS2 launched.
3: Uh, oh, this, this was the demo when... They showed. Got yeah, out, yeah. Right, this
0: was when Dreamcast still had a shot. Yeah. And that trailer was a bucket of cold water for was anyone who was on the fence about which platform to buy because it it was in-game footage and it looked incredible. And it wasn't just that it was detailed and pretty, it was that it was – it seemed alive, yeah. like the, the whole watermelon, watermelon thing. watermelon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah.
2: That's 15 years ago. And, like, still to this day, I will play AAA games where I'll be in a kitchen and there are fewer things I can shoot than in the, kitchen, than in the galley of the tanker. And I'm like, that was 15 years ago. Yeah, you know? but the
0: thing is that that one sequence, that two-hour sequence of the game was really designed as this sort of, like, showcase and the rest of the game doesn't have that. Right. And subsequent Metal Gear games haven't had that. Right. Like no Metal Gear game has lived up to the density and dynamism of the Tinker episode of Metal Gear Solid 2. So we were kind of sold a bill of goods and I don't think it was necessarily intentional. Oh, I think
2: it was intentional. Well, I, 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 I I don't
0: think that he went out – Kojima went out and said – Let's trick people into thinking this game is going to be much better than it actually is. I don't think he was like, let's show them, you know, shooting pots and pans and causing them to jingle around and then not give that to them in the rest of the game. I think those things he probably wanted in the rest of the game and just, you know, like the realistically, that's not possible. That's um, true. But I do, I, I I, do think – no, I think I think a lot of the deception around the early trailers was deliberate. I don't think like – the the density of the trailer that – or the, the tanker that, that fails to manifest in the rest of the game was really – like I don't think that was intentional as a deception. I think that was just a like, what can we do? What can we do with this new engine? I, I think they probably mm-hmm. built that, that tanker chapter as sort of their foundation for the game and then when it came time to create the rest of the game – it was much harder so wait, than they so expected, you, much more expensive.
1: So what you're saying, though, is that then that trailer was sort of the tech demo version of what Metal Gear could be on this new platform. In a way. That's I mean, I agree that the, the tanker is very dense and way more rich and
2: gameplay dense with minutia than the rest of the game, kind of by design. But I think the bait and switch PR campaign and design of this game, everything about this game is intentional. Oh, yeah, and yeah. For brilliant, sure. oh, and brilliant. Yeah. And brilliant. And, like, the wool pull was pull, pulled over all of our eyes, and you either went along with it or you, you know, you rejected it. When you finally found out what this game really was about and who you were playing and and what the true story was. The
0: theme of the game is the the ease with which you can manipulate digital information and the ease with which you can control information and control large groups of people by changing the message they receive. That's absolutely what they did with the marketing campaign for this game. And it was part of a deliberate con, yes. I'm I'm just saying I don't think like – the, you know, some of the some of the like, oh my god, I can't believe a video game can do that, and then you don't really see that stuff through the rest of the mm-hmm. game. I don't think that was meant to be like, ha ha ha, ha you stupid gamers. It was more like, yeah. whoops, wow, that, that's really expensive. When you to only do.
1: saw that stuff in the tanker chapter, right? Like right. you
0: saw mostly the lighting effects. You saw
1: like crazy things
2: like I mean, that. Like the stuff I mean, you like, can like see your, the your flooded shadow.
0: areas where there's like a rubber ducky and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. it's that's just not. It's, it's funny,
2: funny like, the, but it's funny. if I think back on this game, it's like what was done later in the game with Raiden from a narrative. Perspective and from how the game is presented to the player is so much more inventive and ultimately more impactful to the way that games are made and that, like. I- it's, it's like being able to shoot a, a, a cup in the tank in the tankers is so unimportant to me versus the actual brilliance of what that game does. Lately. Yeah, sure,
1: and, and I agree. And I rem, I, rem, I remember watching a trailer where you see Metal Gear Ray sort of sitting on the tanker Snake looking up at it, and there's a line of dialogue, something like, "Well, I, I don't remember what he says." But in my head, I remember going, "How the heck do you even survive this? Like, what is going to happen here?" But then, what inevitably showed up instead was every bit as inventive, even though it is all. Also, every bit as controversial among so fans, like why are people we, who are very split on that. I do
3: wonder, though, what Kojima thought the reaction would be because I was working at a GameStop. Uh, during that release, and the day after the game came out, I have never seen so many returns in my life. Not returns, <laughs> but trade-ins, because we, we didn't offer returns at that point. Yeah, well, no, the book was closed on that. A, I, I just say, wonder...
2: Pe- people often point to, in Japan, how Raiden's on the box art. Yeah. Right? Like, it's different. Like, they revealed but him... the Japanese f- version came out after the American version. That's true, and they revealed him right before launch in Japan, like a press conference, and, you know.
3: Just seeing the amount of rage this game generated, I think it kind of poisoned the wealth for, me- for Metal Gear from then on. I think people still associate it with this, this debacle. Maybe it's faded over time, and I like what it does, but I think lots of people were angry about it. And I'm wondering, like, like what they expected from this. So why don't we actually talk about what we're talking about? Oh, sure, sure.
0: (laughs) Which is that Metal Gear Solid 2 followed the story of Metal Gear Solid. It's like three years later, Solid Snake has gone kind of rogue. Uh, He and uh, his mission controller, um, Otacon, have basically founded their own organization, to prevent the proliferation of Metal Gear nuclear tanks. We haven't even mentioned what Metal Gear is. It's a walking nuclear tank, uh, a ballistic first-strike platform capable of launching missiles anywhere in the world from anywhere in the world, a a terrible weapon of mass destruction. Okay, great. So at the end of Metal Gear Solid, you take down Metal Gear, and then uh, Revolver Ocelot, the first boss you fight, turns out to be kind of like the manipulator behind the whole thing, and he gets the data for Metal Gear and then sells it to anyone who will buy it. So all of a sudden, Metal Gear like, has entered the world, and every dot .com has one. Uh, I don't know why Pets.com needs one, but <laughs> but you know maybe if they had uh, integrated Metal Gear into their plans for launching uh, dog food across the country, they would have lasted longer. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Snake and, and Otacon are basically terrorists uh, fighting to prevent Armageddon, essentially. And the first chapter of the game, you're working on a tip-off. That um, there's going to be like the next generation Metal Gear being shipped by Americans on a freighter and you want to go and sink the ship or whatever or get data on it and expose to the world that, hey, the American military is is involved in this too. Um, and then that turns out to be a ruse also planned by Ocelot and um, Snake gets caught up as they detonate the ship. Ocelot steals Metal Gear, um, frames Snake for it and turns him into like an internationally known and wanted terrorist and everything goes terrible. And That's the second hour of the game. Beyond that, is totally different.
1: Yeah. yeah, and you find out that... Uh, so Metal Gear Solid had a cliffhanger ending after the credits where he was working for the president, and then you find out that the president, George Sears, is a clone of Solid Snake, one of three clones along with Liquid Snake, which was the weirdest part of that story yeah, I for will me, say, and like Solidus... the lamest Solidus, part of story for me. Yeah, Solidus is kind of
3: lame. Like, I was, yeah. thinking, I was
2: thinking about this yesterday. I was like, man, I love me so just too, but Solidus, not so good. Yeah. Not
0: so good.
3: Mm-hmm. I think his it's, name is President Octopus, right? Is that his yeah. uh, Metal Gear name? <laughs> he's he's one
0: step above Dr. Octopus. Right, so after that, that second hour, like 90 minutes, two hours, the tinker sinks, and you never play a snake again. In fact, snake is considered dead, and... You control this very effeminate young man named Raiden, whose codename is Snake, but who's clearly not Solid Snake. And the entire time, I don't know, the first time I played, the entire time I was like, so when do I get to control Snake again? When is Snake going to be back in the game?
2: But then Snake shows up in disguise right. to help and you. and it's such a— it's <laughs> such a right. <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's such an obvious disguise. You're like, well, that's clearly Solid Snake. Wait, even the, even the on?
2: character of Iroquois is kind of like— Obviously not. Re- yeah, you know, like it's it's weird how obvious it all is. Right. Right. <laughs>
0: right. But it's it's interesting because you like two hours into the game, you start over from scratch, and you're given the tutorial. Like, oh yeah. Snake, press the circle button to you know to do this well, or that, and like you've been doing this for two but, hours. Don't we
2: all remember that that first moment of the way Raiden responds, the way he responds to the commands he's getting, and like as the player, the player who's expecting the relationship between you and Snake that you've had, suddenly you have this guy who isn't isn't Snake who is reacting to things in the opposite way to Snake, who is the whiny player. Mm-hmm. He's the he is the whiny guy,
0: and the and video gamer. Doesn't yeah. he arrive there? Like... I sure,
3: called it. <laughs> Doesn't he arrive on the scene like Snake did in Metal Gear Solid 1? Yeah. Yeah. Like
0: the whole thing, it turns out, like every beat of the story is an an imitation of something in Metal Gear Solid, which in turn was an imitation of something in Metal Gear Solid or in Metal Gear 2. Mm -hmm. So it's like this third iteration of of these ideas. Solid Snake simula- simulation, right? It's like it's the but shadows. is that Really, what it means? Right. I thought it man stood for simulation for societal sanity, or...
2: uh, right? But clearly, early on, like either at this point, you're either rejecting it or you're intrigued, like I was, about yeah. like what is Kojima saying here? Who is this person? What what is this reality? Is this real? And you know, in between, we didn't really talk about VR missions after Metal Gear Solid. That's right, part of um, Metal Gear Solid, integral and Ghost Babel and, and Ghost Babel, mm-hmm. right as well. Um, but like, yeah, the question of is this real? suddenly comes into Metal Gear for the first time.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was very clever how VR missions gets kind of pulled into all this because he mentions, like, I've done 250 missions in VR and they show you, like, footage from the original game and you're, you don't kind of put it together right away, but then you realize, oh... He's trying to say that is representative right. of me, and I'm, right. the, I'm the soldier
2: and here. And as you're progressing through the game, following all these people talking in your ear, doing the things you're usually doing in Metal Gear Solid, you start to question w- these people and their motivations and the things they're telling you, and in a way that in Metal Gear Solid you never did.
1: You
0: know? Yeah. yeah the, um, you know, one of the—part of, the, of the impetus behind all of this is that at the end of Metal Gear Solid— Snake was amazing. He was this badass who had saved the world three times from nuclear annihilation. Like, how do you keep building on that? How do you put him in the role of the underdog and make for an interesting video game progression again? And, you know, in the tanker, um, they they do a little bit of that by taking away his camouflage because of a, a bungled jump uh, onto the tanker. And, you know, of course, he has to infiltrate with just a silenced pistol. But even so, like, there's never a doubt, like, oh, yeah, Snake's going to kick everyone's butt. But all of a sudden, you're taken away from that and you're put in the role of someone inexperienced, someone who doesn't know what he's doing. And you see Snake from the outside and you're like, wow, he's really cool. Why is he crawling around in a cardboard box? Okay, whatever, he's really cool. Um, But, you know, Raiden is not. Raiden is the opposite of cool. He's like kind of helpless and spineless and doesn't have any motivation. I, I, think, the, uh, I think... I would the say game, his girlfriend Rose provides plenty
2: of motivation.
0: I think the biggest mistake that game makes, you know, it does a lot of really cool stuff, it also makes some mistakes. And I think one of them is that they just piled too much onto the story there. Like, if Ryden hadn't really been secretly a child soldier who was traumatized, and if Rose wasn't constantly trying to remind him that the next day is President's Day, like... There, there's a lot of stuff that's just really almost kind of superfluous, and I think so, so. I think it's trying too hard at times.
1: Yeah, and it was double-cross on top of double-cross on top of double-cross, which yeah, at I the still, end of the day it was exhausting, let's be fair. Yeah, like, by yeah. the end of that story, you were like, I don't know who to trust anymore. Well, <laughs> for me, the fact that Ryden, right the Jack, can trust Rose at the end is astonishing because I could not, but he does. It was hard to, though, because even the, their romance, like their conversations on Kodak, there were parts where you were just like, oh, I just want this conversation to end to some degree. I know you're saying that she does provide um, some – I forgot how you put she it. She provides right? motivation yeah, motivation, context and yeah. – but, um, you know, what day is it tomorrow? And and just the love blooms on a battlefield thing just came around again almost a mm-hmm. second time, but not in a—I thought it was much better the first time around in Metal
0: Gear Solid. Yeah, I, I think the game kind of loses momentum toward the end. The the final sequence of playability where you're fighting through the Metal Gear arsenal, the, the new true next generation Metal Gear, which is like a giant thing, um, that's pretty amazing because the entire time you're getting all these weird— uh, communications from your mission control, who's like really making you doubt your sanity and whether anything in the game is actually happening. Well, that,
2: that's, and then that's and then segment. you get to the
0: you get to the finale where there's the big showdown and all the double crosses. And to me, it muddies the water. Like I think if they had been more straightforward about everything, it it would have like the themes would have been stronger. But instead, it's just like there's all this digital information being manipulated but then you get to the real people and it's just like well, well know, no one's change, telling the truth changes, anyway so who knows
2: you know, changes did have to be made yeah, I was to say. the end of that game because of the events of 9-11 right. mm-hmm.
3: I want to know what was cut do do we have any idea? It was really just a cutscene, wasn't it? Where I they thought there was more it was, to it.
1: I think there was more cut, and we'll probably never know. Yeah, I mean, is some of it on? Who can forget the uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, uh the, the the disc that they put out on, on PlayStation Two, where you I were kind of able great. to look through. Yeah, I have it too. Document document they doc- the Documented yeah, the document, yeah. the document Metal Gear Solid. Um, I wonder if some of the answer isn't there because it has all the design documents right. for that game. Well, and you were saying you're
2: you know with the things you think are uh, not the great about this game. I think one of the uh, problems are the lack of boss encounters. You know, like what few. boss encounters there are are generally pretty good. Like you know, Fat Man, Olga. Um, what else? There's like two other ones. Laugh and okay. Girl vamp. Vamp.
3: vamp, vamp, vamp. Fight's quite yes. good. Vamp the fortune thing was good. such a huge ripoff. Right. I really wanted a fighter. I, I was. I wanted to say like, how am I going to fight this this character who cannot be killed? But right. they never answer yeah, that. You don't They're really just get like, to fight her. yeah. And if you look in like
2: you know the documentary or some of the art books, there were two other members of Dead yeah. Cell who were who were dropped.
0: Um, mm. And I do always think like. Given who and what they were, I'm kind of glad they dropped them. Right.
2: Well, and I feel like the bosses weren't the strongest suit in this game, and it's good enough without having great boss battles. But that's why with MGS3, I feel like he did go back to MGS in terms of like hitting the boss notes in the way I wanted mm-hmm. them to. Because yeah. even the fight against all the rays at the end is kind of a little like weird. it's really boring. Yeah. I don't like, yeah it. No.
0: like the the harder the difficulty, the more boring it is because you yeah. have to kill like 25 of them on the hardest difficulty. That's I've right. never done that. I just can't even imagine. And even it's the fight so with, with
1: Solidus was kind of unsatisfying. I mean, it was they sort of tossed you into learning how to use the sword the samurai sword towards the later half of that game and then you have to actually use it in this fight and so at first I was really disoriented I was just like I don't understand how this works this is kind of weird and different but I was glad I got through it and actually Metal Gear Solid 2 uh, Sons of Liberty I think is the one Metal Gear I have finished more times than Hmm. any other in the series Mm -hmm. I spent hours foraging for easter eggs in that game calling in from like the ladies room or something just to hear what someone would tell me because it felt like such a deep game I also argue that the moment-to-moment gameplay as Raiden is actually
2: really fun, and in some ways more fun than moment-to-moment gameplay as Snake.
0: Put that out there. I think I think Raiden doesn't really come into his own until he gets the sword. Right with the like sword. That, at yeah. that point, he becomes a different character. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's unusual, and he's he's basically like you know that that bonus mode you liked where you could play as a cyborg ninja in Metal Gear VR missions. Well, now that's part of the game. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: and and for me, like the hour in the game. You know towards the end, but before you know before it kind of hits its climax, where it's all falling apart, like where Kojima is pontificating about where he thinks the internet and the dissemination of information is going to go that uh, that hour the fission mailed hour is for me the single most intelligent present genius has come true in my lifetime mm-hmm. thing I've played in a video game. And that's very rare for me to pull out, like, hey, there are ideas presented in this video game that are controversial and interesting and that have come to pass.
0: Yeah, I didn't really get that in 2001, but in 2010, I was like, oh, "There's a, there's, yeah, a point, there's a
2: point where, uh, like, you know, whoever's talking, is talking, basically, he's like, just because you can put your opinion on the internet, doesn't mean you know, does that mean that your opinion has as much weight as an expert opinion and what does it mean when we're all full of opinion when there's millions of opinions what does it mean about expert opinions and truth
3: I feel like it's pretty daring for a mainstream game to go for, th- for that. I don't know. I felt it was a very dark message, too, at the end. Like, the future's kind of fucked. Everybody, sorry. But I feel like most modern mainstream games, like, the deepest they go is, like, maybe some good guys are bad sometimes. And maybe some bad guys are good. We're not going to commit to anything. Right. You know, like. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the, the message there is a lot deeper than Bioshock Infinite. Oh, I was tiptoeing
0: around that. Yeah. <laughs> so but, it's not the well, only one. So yeah, obviously that didn't go over entirely well. Like I enjoyed the game. I find it hard to replay because of all the the stuff that's just like what is this about? Like when the the bomb expert starts feeling sorry for himself. Okay, I get it. You you lied, to deception through information and uh that that's great and all, but your story is stupid and I hate you. That, that stuff kind of gets in my way, but but I still think it's a really good game, and it's a probably a better story than a game in some senses, uh, which is why Metal Gear Solid Three was so great because it really it didn't you know it didn't weaken the story. The story is much more personal. It's much more about the character's tale within the context of the the bigger setting, while setting the stage for uh, you know the subsequent stories. It's a prequel. Um, but, man, the gameplay in Metal Gear Solid 3 is so good. Yeah. And the scale, the
2: scope of the length of you know traversal you have in this game. Like, I think I've seen, like, oh, here's the maps of the different games. You like, right. actually go way more places in GS3. Yeah, I mean,
0: Metal Gear Solid took place inside of a compound. Metal Gear Solid 2 took place inside of a tanker, tanker and, and then a uh, shell. Oil, yeah, oil, like an oil, oil rig. rig. So they're, yeah. they're these very small contained spaces. Metal Gear Solid 3 was, like, Let's take it out of there. Let's really put it into a natural Mm. setting, which to me seemed really risky at the time. I was like, how can this game work when it's so built around angles and hiding under, you know, corners and stuff like that, like how do you How do you integrate that well do you get a camouflage system, and then you know some, sometimes the game went a little overboard like with the the uh the, the, healing, the healing system, and, the yeah. yang and the, but, <laughs> but like all the but, minu- all the minutiae was kind of great,
2: and i was I was talking to about this like when other people like have pitched me in my current role survival games, which I've been pitched many, almost none of them have. It. Anything near the the minutia depth of
1: MGS three's survival, right. and it's like if your whole game is about wilderness survival, and you don't have any of this, like you should go play some yeah. MGS three. Yeah, and it was a, it was a great evolution too, because yeah, being inside of those installations did make it very. It almost felt like you were traveling down a lot of a lot of corridors. It never really felt like really open, um, and it's something that. I think when you marry it with just how many different tools and how deep the gameplay actually goes in Metal Gear, like even things like, you know, we didn't even talk about in Metal Gear Solid 2 just getting, like, dog tags from people and w- the addiction that that brings, right, as yeah. you try to, like, collect them right. all, the amount of metagame he kind of puts inside yeah, the game for those who want to be it.
2: completists, you know? Yeah,
1: no, yeah. And, and it's really fun to just kind of toy and troll the AI at the end of the day, and Metal Gear Solid 3, I feel, is sort of the apex of a lot of that, and I'm hoping that Ground Zeroes mm. goes past that just because it takes those con- that concept... And it feels a lot more fulfilled in you know, an open it's
2: interesting. world. On NGS3, the fact that it was a prequel, you know, that he was going back, and that it has way more of, like, a through story, kind of a, you know, of a novel or film-like story with lots of characters and, like, more events. It, it just the ambition and scope of it did feel, especially now thinking back in hindsight, way bigger
0: than one or two. And, like, mm-hmm. it, you know, it has a very different feeling. It's a longer game. Much sure. longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm, I yeah. mean, you can, you can spend an hour, two hours on one fight. Um, yes, I, I, I spent two hours <laughs> fighting the end the first yep. time. Yeah. Same here.
3: Something like, really daring I thought they did is getting rid of the Salton radar system. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are replacements, but they're very underpowered. And the funny thing is like, I've gotten so used to it now. There's an item in Snake Eater where it gives you that radar, but you get it for like 10 seconds, That's and then right. your battery dies. So it just co- it shows you like how much we have learned to play these games since mm-hmm. then. But uh, yeah, it also it also made the world feel like more alive and more dangerous because you weren't just looking at little blips on a map. Yeah, well, you know, the game didn't really work that well at first blush. It was with the
0: re-release where they took, they finally broke away from the overhead camera, which was great on PlayStation and became increasingly archaic as the medium evolved. Like, by the time Metal Gear Solid 3 came out, we had Splinter Cell, which was much more immersive by changing the nature of the camera. I'm not saying Splinter Cell is a better game. I'm saying it's
2: interesting because I, you know, I played through MGS3 with the old camera and then I played through That subsistence with the new camera and I'm of two minds with three. It's weird. You know, like modern... It's weird, like modern Metal
0: Gear. I, I that, can't play. I can't play with the fixed camera. You
2: now with five, you know, and less so with four, but with five, they've they've changed the controls enough to really make it play in the Western style with me controlling the camera. But like with MGS three back in the day,
1: I did feel that. It was a better play experience with the top-down camera. I don't know. With the <laughs> top-down camera, I found myself constantly going to first person and like, okay, is yeah, anything coming yeah. up? All right, no. I mean, get to the next patch of grass. All right, do it again. I think it was a little completely easier changed the way with I played the new it.
3: camera. You mm-hmm. know, you, that's the worst you can say. It wasn't yeah, designed with that in mind. But It I, didn't feel difficult in a good way with the old camera. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It felt,
0: it felt frustrating. Yeah, and
1: ultimately, you still made a ton of noise. You had to use like very special uh, – you had to hold the – what was it? With the D-pad to walk quietly, right. and that consumed a lot of stamina. Oh. So it was all of that deep, deep, deep thinking – uh, that I absolutely adore. I, I love that game. I think it's my favorite in the series.
0: So Metal Gear Solid 3 came out in 2004? Yeah. So three years after Metal Gear Solid 2. So they were kind of keeping a three-year cycle. But originally Kojima was not the the producer or director on Metal Gear. or The producer, maybe, but not the director on Metal Gear Solid 3. But for whatever reason, he came back and was like, okay, I'll take over and, and resume working and kind of guided the game to its uh, conclusion. But... It, it 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 basically Metal Gear Solid 2 pointed painted itself into a corner at the end like the plot line was just like where do they go from here with this so they didn't go anywhere they went back into the 1960s and told the story of Big Boss who also operated under the co- code name Snake and of course Big Boss the the villain of the first two games was uh, gen- like the genetic father of Solid Snake who was a clone of Big Boss it's very you know soap opera but but the interesting thing is that by, um, you know, there there was so much just convoluted thinking and so many fake outs in Metal Gear Solid 2 that when they started promoting Metal Gear Solid 3, people were like, why is Snake in the jungle? Is, this a, is it time travel? Why is he in the 60s? What's going on? Like the obvious answer is it's about Big Boss. And, I you know, I and a few other people were like, yeah, it's about Big Boss. That's got to be it. But you know, there were there was all these fan theories on the internet about like increasingly Baroque in nature about how this was going to like totally go sci-fi and change up everything and, and Solid Snake was going to go back in the past and change history by trying to prevent the Patriots from <laughs> ever happening. It was it was pretty crazy. But then the actual game itself, like it was as straightforward as Metal Gear Solid 2 was convoluted. Like it was very much about Snake on a mission, and there's a betrayal, and he's forced to make difficult decisions and um, you know sort of unmake his mentor's legacy uh, in order you know to kind of keep nuclear Armageddon from happening. Well,
1: for Snake, too, it was a hard lesson, right? Like, I feel like that was ultimately one of the things that I took away from it, especially where, when he discovers the boss's deception and why she was put in that position, this character that he cares about, spoiler alert, well, sorry. Yeah, and then, I mean, the, yeah. the character of the boss, I think a
2: lot of people point to her as this really compelling, lovable, wonderful character that you didn't expect
0: from Metal Gear. You know, I think she was very surprising. Yeah. A female character with her own agency? That's yeah. weird. <laughs> um, a yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> but but really, the Metal Gear series follows the same arc as the Star Wars series. You have the 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 games about the present day or the future, and then you have the prequels, which are about the villain who starts out as a protagonist and becomes a villain. So there was an arc kind of put in place for for Big Boss, for for Naked Snake, or Jack, if you want to call him. Except there's a bunch of those in the series, so who <laughs> knows? So you know, like you know, at some point he's going to become a villain and. Really, Snake Eater is about laying down the groundwork for him to become a villain. But it works a lot better than the Phantom Menace, I gotta say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because instead of showing Big Boss as a baby or whatever, it's like Big Boss as a young soldier, but he's still, you know, he's gotta be in his thirties. Right. Like he's 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 pretty seasoned at this point. He already has a long relationship with the boss mm-hmm. who has been his combat mentor. And has, you know, worked on him with missions and operations and everything. So he he's not like going – it's not going back to the very beginning. It's going back to the inflection point from which he starts to distrust governments and decides, you know, like I'm going to strike out on my own and – do my own thing, even if it, you know, puts me at odds with the rest of the world. Yeah, he
2: doesn't feel brash, naive like Raiden. He feels kind of fully formed already. And I think the, actually the role of uh, Revolver Ocelot in Snake Eater is great because he is quite different than he was in MGS, and it's fun for fans to see that the transformation. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Well,
2: or the time
0: paradox if you th- shoot him. I, I wouldn't say yeah. Big Boss is, is naive, but I do think he's a very sensitive, vulnerable character, whereas Solid Snake was always just sort of like... Yeah, that's the job. I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do is not very nice. Well, Big Boss I, is much more like, "Oh, why is this happening? No, why? Why? You know, why are these things going wrong? This isn't how it's supposed to be." He's much more, in a sense, kind of delicate, I guess, and but, it, it makes sense that you know because he is this more emotional character that he would. Go kind of off the deep end. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, go ahead. I was I was just going to say like that kind of creates an interesting parallel between him, or contrast between him and Solid Snake because Solid Snake, you know, they both face a lot of the same challenges and trials and tasks, but they both come to different conclusions. Big Boss is like, I'm going to you know create my own army and and make the remake the world in my my vision. And Solid Snake is more like I'm going to try to put things right and you know get things so that it's not a, a hostile world of destruction and hatred.
1: But for Big Boss, I feel like it was fool me once and I've learned my lesson. With Solid Snake, it was fool me constantly. <laughs> like each yeah. successive yeah. game, he was taken, like he was he was misled to a degree. Whereas Big Boss was like, oh, so this is what really was happening. Okay, now instead of this ever happening to me again, I'm going to build an army, do X, Y, well, Z. and Snake whatnot.
0: does strike on his own with philanthropy. And they still got misled. <laughs> they did. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, uh, y- y- you know, even, even Big Boss gets played like a fiddle. Yeah. So oh, even even
3: though uh, this game takes place in the 60s, I feel like it's reflecting what was happening in the world at that time because it was still like the aftermath of 9-11. And I know this game was made in Japan by Japanese people. But for America, it was probably the most "ura support the troops-y era that we've seen in recent memory with the Iraq War and everything like that. And this game shows you soldiers are not heroes. We should feel sorry for them because they're pawns for more powerful like, entities like corporations and things like that. Another and... G.I. Joe comic parallel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not an original thing to say, but coming at that time in American history it felt pretty daring to me. like Them going out and saying this, like, the soldier is a pitiable figure because he is being used and manipulated.
1: Yeah, and it was so much more focused than Metal Gear Solid 2 at the end of the day and I think that's why we all love it so fondly. Where, like, of course, Metal Gear Solid 2 is, is genius in a lot of the level ways. But I feel like ultimately a more focused story Better boss fights, like putting it in the jungle, making it more about survival to the bases. And then when you get to the bases, maybe they're much smaller than the ones you've seen in the past, but that's okay. They'll still be almost as good, if not as good.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the sense of progression and story. And I think MGS3 ends on a really, really high note. I mean, the fight against the Shagahad's amazing. And then the fight against the boss is still actually. actually... The fight
0: against the Shagahad's kind of stupid. No, I like it, dude. When when Vulgan's riding around, like his personal chariot, that's really dumb.
2: But I think the fight against the boss is still the best looking PlayStation 3 graphics of all time. I think it still looks good.
0: I <laughs> still, still looks look good. Yeah. Not only that, but... PlayStation it's, 2, yeah. It's also maybe the best example of a game's mechanics and themes all coming together and putting everything together. Yeah. And making you really feel like... It's all been leading up to like, like this is the synthesis of it all, which is the opposite of how usually how final battles in Metal Gear usually go. It's usually like some stupid one to one fist fight that has nothing to do. <laughs> right? Yeah, this has the game. that. Like this Metal it... Gear Solid Four is, is oh, the, worst. the worst, but this
2: one yeah, it has the CQC, the thing you've had, you know, the game's been trying to teach you, but actual gravitas and like the fact I always love the fact that it makes you press that button at the end, like it makes you a willing participant
3: in. A hor- horrific thing. I have to say, it doesn't make you, Shane. I must correct you now. <laughs> oh, if you just stand there um, long enough, she just does? Yeah, I mean, if Spoilers. you sit there long enough, it does it automatically, which How long I thought is was a long bummer. Enough, or, maybe like 10, 20 seconds. It's oh, not that long. not very long. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, it, it should, just it should have the planes come in and blow things I up. I thought I waited yeah. ten,
0: minute, 10 seconds to but oh. Yeah,
1: I thought I waited a while and it didn't happen. But regardless, yeah, that was, uh, it blew me away. Like, especially that moment. My yeah. th- my it's, th- it's an
0: interesting It's an interesting contrast to the, the fight in... Um, Metal Gear Solid, where you're trying to take a bead on uh, the Metal Gear Rex, mm. and it's got Grey Fox in there. And anytime time you try to pull the trigger, snake so goes. I it. can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. He's, uh, yeah. Whereas this is the opposite. That's the <laughs> that sounds like George C. Scott. <laughs> my, my other two
2: favorite parts of this game. Uh, I like when you climb the ladder for like five minutes and listen to the like a distant version of the Snake Eater vocal That's theme. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's great. I also yeah. I love the the part the. the
1: Air quote fight against the sorrow. I thought it was really yeah. clever. And well, and cool. the fight against the end too. Like I'd never seen anything like that before. And the fact that well, it's all, all the ways all the ways you can end it too. All the ways yeah. it, it can it can go. I, I
2: think yeah, the only right. fight
0: in that game that's not really that interesting is against. Um, the pain, the, is the pain. The bees. Yeah. No, not the no the, 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 the fury. The, one, the fury. That's uh, it. With I don't like that one. Yeah, I, yeah. I, like that's it. Lo- it
2: looks cool. It does, it but it's it's yeah.
0: it's really weirdly designed. Yeah. So it's the only one I can't get a stealth kill on. I agree. Or not stealth kill, but a stamina kill. That was one of the great things. Did MGS2 introduce that, or was it three? Yeah, it was three. It was three. Yeah. Where like the games are always like, don't kill anyone, don't kill anyone. But then you get into a boss fight, you have to kill the boss. But in this game, you can actually take them out by draining their stamina bar instead of And you of get the health. camo that way, right? You get different yeah, items, yeah. Different camouflage. So that's like the Fury is the one I've never been able to stealth kill mm. or stamina kill. I keep saying that. Um, but everyone else, yeah, like it's an interesting and fun challenge, especially like the end, to take him out but you get such a great item if you if you stamina kill him.
1: But I think as fans we are overlooking the fact that from a control perspective, Metal Gear Solid 3 was starting to show the you know, oh, that, that yeah. control scheme was not able to really deliver what at least modern games were doing at the time. Like obviously it it had become sort of outdated. Um I'll never forget sort of playing that game. And it, I'm, a friend of mine, my, my roommate actually right now, is playing Metal Gear Solid 3 for the first time. He's playing it on my Vita, he borrowed it. And I'm here constantly having to lean over and go, okay, no, but you have to hold this button down mm-hmm. to then hold this button down. And then you can see him first person. And then if you let go of that button, you can shoot. And he's just looking at me like, I don't know, man. Luckily, he's gotten over that hump, but it is asking a lot of you. And yep. it was something that needed to change. That's
3: Pressure sensitivity on a DualShock 2 never felt like... I don't know. Didn't feel like there was nil- enough variation between like, light and heavy. I-, I don't know. Maybe heavy you just had to like jam it in all the way, but mm. it never felt right to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but even on top of that, just the complexity of that world. I love that, in, and we've kind of gone over this, and maybe that's because we're talking higher level here, but there are smaller things like even, hey, uh, the enemies keep all their food here. I love if that. You blow this up, everyone for the, for the next, you know, I'm going to joke and say a mile, you'll hear their stomach growling and them going, I'm so hungry. <laughs> as they walk around and there were systems like that that um I had never seen in a metal gear before yeah. and it just got deeper and deeper and deeper you could throw a poisoned ration and make that poor soldier sick that's true that's or,
0: or the uh, the fear was it the fear yeah that's how you can kill him yeah. too yeah you can well not kill him you can get your stamina kill yeah, by I mean. uh by giving him poison food and stuff because his uh his camouflage requires his uh his energy so you can just drain it and make it impossible for him to reco- recover mm-hmm. like stuff like that is crazy I can't believe a video game does that that kind of stuff. But that's what I was talking about when I was saying, um, you know, MGS3 reminds me in a lot of ways of roguelike systems where things are complex and there are alternate solutions. And I feel like starting with Metal Gear Solid 2, the series always started to introduce these alternate solutions for things like multiple ways to complete a scenario. Even if it was like, do you kill everyone here or do you flip them over and stun them? Um, but really, 3 took that to the, to the greatest degree, I think. And that, that's, that's kind of what made Metal Gear Solid 4 so disappointing because it really lost a lot of that. It was a much more I linear know. and limited game. Modernized the control system that you were talking about, Jose. It's, it feels much more contemporary and much more playable. But there's just there's something missing about Metal Gear Solid Four.
2: Well, it's what's weird about Four. Thinking back on it now, and like you know, I was I got to go and review it at the secret base camp. You know, the kind of Konami boot camp things that you got to go for uh, mm-hmm. um, Ground Zeroes Four. And you know, when we were playing through it, the five acts are so unique and, you know, we were told at that point that each of them had a unique director and they were kind of made in silos mm-hmm. and, like, I think it
0: really shows, you know. And I like, never knew that, but it explains a lot. And,
2: you know, Act 2 is the best Act because mm-hmm. it's like MGS3. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like more MGS3. Um, and Act 3 is probably the most problematic because it's the most different, the one in the city. and like,
0: I, I like that, though. What? I like the the sneaking. I feel it's, like... It's interesting. They didn't do enough with it. Right, They needed, to, they needed to make more of a game. Let's, like, the introduction for something interesting, and then um, then you're driving an old woman
3: around in a car or I, a motorcycle. Yeah, I mean, I found that Big guy. And, <laughs> <laughs> I found the guy you're supposed to find in, like, five minutes. I was like, I want to play with this level and see what I can do, but so, I just so found him immediately. So when we were testing it, like,
2: the the pathfinding was all broken. And stuff. Okay. So I think they barely got it working. And then, you know, Act 1, you know, the part that we were first shown for the first year, you know, you're fighting the geckos in the Middle Eastern city. Like, it is good, but, like… You know, if you if you're expecting MGS three, I think like you were a little more limited in what what you could do, even if it looked so cool.
3: You know, yeah. I really hate the boss fights, especially after Snake Eater. I, there's not one boss fight I like in. Well, Metal okay, Gear and 4. I'll say the
2: Beauty and the Beast core in general are a little unsavory in a certain way.
3: Yes, right. Especially mm-hmm. in hindsight, I mean. Even then, but and now And I we... do mean hind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mean, like, oh, the, the weird
2: photo mode? I chose not to beat them that way, but, like, have you ever watched people who beat them with... I haven't. What I do know. you
3: do? Like, photo mode? Oh, do you get, like, cheesecake photos of them? Or... Yeah, there's, like, a way... i never seen people okay.
2: playing this way, but there's a way, like, you can, like, take their picture, and if you take, like, the right pose of them, it, like it's a special way, if you get a special item or a special trophy or something for it, but, like... Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back. Okay, MGS4 mm-hmm. is the story sequel to MGS2, After a Fashion... It has Riot and it has Snake. It has Right. They, they basically Otacon. said,
0: oh, we painted ourselves into a corner. What's the future? The future is the whole world is at war and it's transcended governments and now it's all about private well, military companies. And I'll companies. say, when
2: this game was first announced was the first time I'd ever heard PMC as a term and now, you know, like Blackwater. these, these many thing. years later, right. this is the way a well, lot of almost, war almost, is
0: being fought. Almost, mini- like even before the game came out, like that stuff started showing up a lot in the news. Right. Yeah. Like. It it didn't feel like Metal Gear Solid 2 where it was predicting the future. It was more like Oh, by the way, place. here's what's happening right now. Right. Which was, you know, different and interesting. Um and in that sense, it was good. But a lot of the a lot of the narrative problems that the Metal Gear series suffers from, I think, were really prominent here. Like especially with the Beauty and the Beast core where like every time you beat one of them, they were these, you know, these kind of blank ciphers that were I mean, basically they were like mashups of two previous Metal Gear bosses. Yeah, right. It was like an decoy uh, octopus. an emotion from, uh, you know, Cobra unit character emotion from Metal Gear Solid Three, and then a uh, Foxhounder character from Metal Gear Solid One. They just combined those two, turned them into a woman. And you fought them and there wasn't really any reason for it. They looked kind of cool on the battlefield but kind of weird right. and they laughed a they were, lot and then they flew off. And each of them
2: had a completely insane but backstory.
0: But came along and he's this like completely unnecessary character. Like, he's, he's your shopkeeper, yeah. basically. He's like the RE4 shopkeeper. Why are you it? Like yeah. <laughs> but but after you kill someone or beat a boss, he comes along and he's like, let me tell you the sad like, story about the character. how does he know
2: so much? Like, oh, in war-torn Croatia, when she was seven, her dog died. Like, I don't – what? Like,
0: <laughs> like, no, no. This is this is for the, the briefing tapes. I'm so glad they added briefing tapes to Peace Walker yeah. because mm. – that, you know all that stuff is in the games still, but it's not there breaking up the flow of the game and just feeling awkward. But,
1: yeah. the, but the most tragic part of Metal Gear Solid Four story to me was that they took all of the characters from Metal Gear Solid Three and made them villains. Yeah. everyone <laughs> that you cared about, everyone that you thought was all happy-go-lucky or helpful or nice, paramedic is a monster. Right? <laughs> oh, uh, for sure.
3: Yeah, about uh, the just girdle like zero. movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. is
0: so cool. Oh wait, no, he was the DARPA chief.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. and you
1: find out all like they set up all all these characters that you love in Metal Gear Solid 3 and it was just really hard for well, me to hear that think, they were not I think another issue for me
2: the whole time through was Old Snake as being like not the most likable aspirational protagonist that the franchise has had. Like, you know... He got a little long in the tooth. I was kind of, he was too old for this shit. Like, I, I wasn't as engaged with him as the protagonist as I had previous Metal Gears.
1: But and, I was intrigued by the whole notion of taking the story where it was with him. Where, like, oh, because you're a clone, you are now, you know, you're terminal. You are going to die. And right. this is what the entire game is roughly about. Well, and, like, putting
2: Sunny as, like, you know, this, you know, this thing for him to, like, play off. Sunny was great, and she brought levity to
1: it, but... By making eggs.
2: By <laughs> making eggs,
3: Yeah. I don't know. Gameplay-wise, if I can go back to that, um, I feel like Metal Gear Solid 3 did a great job of incentivizing uh, pacifist play where, you know, the Sorrow fight was easier. You got those camos and stuff like that. In this game, there is no real incentive to be a pacifist. In fact, there are so many new weapons, like lethal weapons in this game. There's such an emphasis on that that it feels kind of pointless to do the pacifist run. And then in in Peace Walker, they will go back to being like, oh, pacifism is great because you can do all this stuff with alive soldiers.
1: But they did have, the the, the female um, bosses did drop something. I think they did drop camo. Or some yeah, there was some way to beat them get. without killing them. Yeah. yeah, there was stamina kills along it with that, existed, too. It still existed,
3: but I feel like the rewards weren't as
0: uh, great. Well, and the I, boss fights weren't interesting enough that I wanted to take the trouble to do that. Same here. Uh, really boring. That's I a fair that. point. You, okay, yeah. the o- Laughing Octopus or whatever was was a good fight. I liked yeah. that one, but all the others were just boring. That sniper were, one just pissed me they off. Were kinda, <laughs> they were mainly kind of easy and
2: forgettable, but I do think that the moment-to-moment gunplay and combat was better, more Western, you know, like the actual shooting enemies. Yeah, fighting but Gun play- not a, what
0: I play Metal Gear for. Well, but I felt like and it, it, it was kind of yeah. cathartic to get the Takeshima gun or whatever and blow away a, a, an entire squad of enemies with a whirlwind. That's cool, but, you know, that's just like as a bonus. Like, when I play Metal Gear and I'm not just goofing around, I don't want to fight anyone. I want to sneak around and avoid being seen, maybe take out someone with a uh, a uh, stun dart headshot or something, but that's it. Right. I, well,
2: yeah. and then to, you know, kind of get towards the end of the game. I think Act Four, you know, it's such fan service, and it you know it 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 delivers, but then doesn't. You know, it, it gives you like halfway. Oh man, it's Metal Gear Solid again, but then it kind of evaporates before it really takes hold. And then the final act also is you know it consists
0: of like one big open area of a boat right. and then a microwave on right the grueling
2: microwave <laughs> portion is very long very slow and then as you as you alluded the final encounter with uh,
0: you know with uh, liquid snakes, with, with liquid yeah. is
2: just not very rewarding either and, it,
0: and you know there there there, it, there was a the constant sensation that they couldn't really decide what they wanted to do with the game and they tried to do everything so you had all kinds of dumb stuff like meryl getting married to johnny sasaki and Johnny's funny. Come on. Like yeah, that's fine, but it just it felt like so drawn out.
3: And, um, yeah, that ending was longer than the sound of music, and even uh, like an intermission, you know, <laughs>
0: or at least a musical number.
3: Get up, don't you know? Oh, dive okay. of blood and I give him credit. You for... also had you had stuff like
0: you know the fight where it's a split screen, and in half of it, Raiden is fighting Vamp. That looks oh, cool,
3: but it looks
2: cool, but it's not fun noisy. to play. Yeah, it was not really play irritating. Around. Well, and and I think in narratively, I give that game a lot of you know props for trying so hard to wrap up all these loose ends, but it didn't quite do no, it effectively.
0: It, yeah, it was like. Some things were just drawn out, and everything else was oh, and the nano machines, right? But it, that that
1: they, became the answer just, to everything, yeah, like midi Yeah,
3: that ocelot slugfest though was the worst note to end on. I think I almost quit because it's like here's a new system, have fun w- with it. I wanted to quit, but
0: I couldn't because I had to review. Oh, you it. reviewed it, yeah? Like so it was all new controls though, right?
3: Someone else had played it on
0: easy mode, so uh, I would jump over to their machine because I'd played it on normal. Okay, and it just kept like I would get to a point where. I would almost won and then it would do something stupid and I'd lose. And after like six times, whoever was playing next to me, I think Andrew Pfister was like, here, just play here. So I did and I beat it and I was like, well, that was crappy. And, uh, you know, I watched the credit rolls and then they give you a credit for Big Boss. I was like, wait a minute. And then it rolls into like the 20-minute right, epilogue. 20-minute? Right. But that, that fight. <laughs> which was okay. I, I liked the epilogue. I thought it did wrap everything up. and. There even seemed to be this sort of existential, like, uncertainty to it. When Big Boss's final words are, this is good, isn't it? Mm. It's almost like Kojima saying, did you like it? Yeah. Mm.
1: But, I I mean, so that fight was awful. I'm not going to lie. But I did appreciate what it was going for because it was trying to wrap up you know, generations of the Metal Gear Solid series. Sure. Uh, and they could have that done that fight. with
0: an amazing battle like the one at Metal Gear, the end of Metal Gear Solid 3, but instead they went back to the stupid fist
3: fight with Liquid Snake. I think they wanted yeah. something that intimate, but it just didn't work in that context. Hmm. The the fist well, fight with with liquid snake was the worst part of the original Metal Gear. Yeah, so,
1: and with a game that was going bigger and bolder and and trying to be the biggest game in that series, I think they just kind of underestimated you know, it, it, why it, that was a bad it's idea. It's funny. I
2: haven't really gone back and really rethought about MGS four in a while, and it's so disjointed. I mean, I still like it. I still had a good time with it. I'm glad it exists, but like it is by far compared to. One you know, two 1, 2, 3, it is a weird offering in, 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 in how, like, all over the
0: place Like, you is. can't take mm-hmm. it seriously when there's a submarine that comes out of the water and has, like, a miniature Mount Rushmore with all the sons of Big Boss <laughs> carved onto it. I forgot about that. did happen. There's some <laughs> dumb crap in that game. Oh, like, man. what are you doing, Kojima? What, the
1: whole Liquid Snake, the infamous scene where he's firing, like, pretend guns on a boat uh, during Act 3? That eh, was also that's another. Okay. That, that's okay. That's <laughs> okay? That's really over the top, <laughs> that
0: cutscene. It, it's, it's over <laughs> yeah. the top. But, things are
1: blowing but, up. But Ocelot right? is so
0: ridiculous that yeah. it's okay. But the the submarine man and the really the really sad part is the submarine happens right around the time that you finally get to control a Metal Gear. After all these games, you finally get to jump in the cockpit and it's really cool. And then the submarine,
1: what? Mm.
0: But yeah, like all all the things that Metal Gear Solid Four tried to do to bring the series to a close, some of it was good. But sometimes I just felt like the game crawled up its own ass and died. Like the whole the whole going back to Shadow Moses Island really kind of drove how streamlined the play was. Like in the original Metal Gear Solid, Shadow Moses was this like dense, challenging, complicated playground. It was very intimidating. And Metal Gear Solid 4 is just like, uh, let's just scroll around and kill some uh, drones. It was so
2: lightweight. It felt like, like yeah. there was no challenge
0: to and, it. And, you know, you get to the part where uh, when you, when uh, Otakon is like, Hey, it's time to change the disc. Oh, just kidding! You've got the power of Blu-ray. <laughs> now let's wait in for ten minutes while the next chapter reloads Ugh. to the disc. Oh, oh man!
1: Or the lack of vibration and the uh, what was the ma- the wannabe boss mantis fight in that one where he's like oh, put your controller yeah, yeah. on the floor. No vibration. <laughs> oh. Tur- we couldn't
3: pay for the patent. Yeah. Yeah, remember that? There was yeah, some weird dust <laughs> up. It just mystified I'm me. I'm surprised like, Sony left that in. Sorry. Yeah. I, just, no, I was, I was totally really surprised understand. they let that to go like, through. I love three. It's one of my favorite games. And then when I played this, I'm like, what happened in between three and this? Like he seemed to be have everything under control again. And I just want to know like what informed this game? Was it just like Sony gave me a ton of money to make this for them, so I I'm just gonna do everything I wanna do now that I don't have to prove myself? I just don't know where it's coming from. Uh, I, think, I think there were a lot of problems. I think the game was way
0: bigger and more complicated and more expensive to put together than they intended. I mean if you look at the credits, and this is something that I've heard from people at Konami, like in the end, everyone at the company was called in to work on it. <laughs> so there's like team silent people, Michiro Yamane and wow. Koji Igarashi are working on it. They're in the credits. Who knows why? Like it just it, – it sprawled out. It was, you know, the the classic problem of last generation, which was – HD. Yeah, HD caught everyone off guard, yeah. and they still had to get it done.
2: Well, and it's, they were rolling their own engine. You know, that's a unique engine just for that game. How, how yeah. delayed
0: was it? I don't remember. A year at least. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it didn't even follow follow through on a lot of the original promises of the trailer. You know, nowhere to hide. It made it look like there were going to be destructible environments and everything was going to be dynamic and ex- unexpected. They clearly couldn't get that to work, and yeah. so what they went with was like, you can throw some weapons to guys on one side, or weapons to the guys on the other side, and they'll be nice to you. All right. Yeah, and even <laughs> the octo
1: camo was kind of a strange system. It was much more streamlined than anything that was done in Metal Gear Solid Three, but it it still didn't feel as necessary as I, going through the menu to pick your doing camo. You didn't get about halfway through the game. Yeah, you almost yeah. didn't need it, and that was something that caught me off guard because the camouflage system in Metal Gear Solid Three was really convoluted. Let's not pretend. But at the same time, it was still really
0: good. It It was really deep. In in my 12 years working in the game press now as a professional person who does video game stuff, I would say the review of that game is probably my biggest regret in terms of stuff I've written just because I was very positive on it even though I didn't really feel like it because I felt like as I was writing the review – I was, letting, I was worried about letting too much of my personal disappointment come through into it and my, my personal feelings. And I felt like, you know, technically it's a very good game and there are a lot of good systems and it controls well and it brings the whole story together. So it's good, but... Like, if I were to have really scored it the way I felt about it, it would have been a lot lower. Were you you at the same review event that I was at, or no? uh, No, I I went to the Konami headquarters in L.A. Okay, Uh, because... I went with EGM's group. Right. I I would say, yeah, I have some
2: similar regrets. I think I definitely overscored it in hindsight. And, you know, it was even tougher being at this three-day review event in Japan with Kojima, where each night we had a fireside chat with him and could ask him questions about the game and about the franchise. And, like, you know, I think... In that context, it's you know like we could, it's, it's easy to, to potentially uh, you know overrate things a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's weird to say that in post, but I think I definitely overrated this game a little. Bit. Well, I mean, I, reviews are, you are just, that there are no
0: ethics in the gaming press. Well, it's it's a different
2: you know having to review any game during any yeah. product in duress in
0: in, in like in a closed environment. You know, it's 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 not. The best. Well, I mean, that is how we reviewed Metal Gear Solid Three or Four. We went well, and three as well. I
2: had to go to Konami and, well. and, and do it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's not the best way to review
0: anything. Really. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to really get a good read on your feelings in a situation like that. That's why we we don't do stuff like that when we're invited. We really try to avoid it because I don't really enjoy that sort of situation. So I'm actually inclined to give the score maybe a better, or give the game a better score than it maybe deserves because I'm like, well, I hated where I was playing, but I feel like if I played this at home and, you know, on my own terms, I'd enjoy it more. So maybe it's not as bad mm-hmm. as as the impression I take away. It's just not an accurate sensation. So, yeah, I would I would say Metal Gear Solid Four probably like a B minus.
2: But I'd say it, its problems are unique, and they're not regular problems no. that most games
0: have. They're very specific problems. Yeah. Anyway, after that game, it was kind of like a Metal Gear Solid 2 situation where I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I really care about the next game in the series. So Peace Walker, I had zero interest in. The portable Metal Gears, aside from Ghost Babel, had not been that great. And Metal Gear Solid 4, I felt like, had really left a bad taste in my mouth. So I was like, Peace Walker, well, don't care and, about and it.
2: Peace Walker, it was interesting because it, it seemed as though Kojima was really behind it and it was a mainline Metal Gear, but the fact that it wasn't for a home console I think made everyone a little wary like it's he might say it's a main game but
1: actually it's going to be a throwaway, you know. Yeah, like, well, but, and it was also on PSP, which unfortunately at least here didn't really have a great track record, yeah. right? But in Japan it would have it was going well, to it be to be super put successful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and
3: it absolutely. was 2010 too, which is like who had a PSP and was playing it then, you know, sure. at that point.
0: Yeah, but But I let them talk me, I let Konami talk me into going to a demo of the game at Tokyo Game Show and sort of against my better judgment, I gave it a try and was like, okay, this is actually legitimate. This is really good. Why is this game so good? (laughs) And it came out and I loved it.
3: Yeah, I actually I just put my hundredth hour into it like wow. Uh, yesterday. Wow! I picked up the HD version again after the uh, event, and I was like, "Oh, I got to play more of this," and I'm doing like everything now.
2: No, okay. sure. Are you playing on PS3? Uh, yeah, because uh, I played like okay. seventy hours. So say I have never finished it, and it's one of my things I'm shameful of and like you know I started I've never gotten
0: l- the true ending
2: I started way late and like I, you know I started to play on PS3 and they're, they're didn't get too far and like you know there are some missions that are way more fun with other people and like in 2015 it's not easy to get a hey let's play some
1: Peace Walker Online yeah you know? no for sure yeah. um, <laughs> and it was definitely inspired by the biggest success in Japan at the time Monster which was Monster Hunter, Hunter. Yeah, so just weird the yeah. co-op well, idea. but like
2: the missions are really small in scale if compared to regular Metal Gear games that's one thing
1: yeah that is that, that's
2: uh, actually really true like you can play you can play one you can play, you know, one of those missions in like thirty minutes. But base development—it's okay
0: because it it feels right, like it it fits the platform. It was a game that was designed specifically for the platform, and Ghost People did the same thing. Like it broke the entire game into missions, and it was actually more linear in that in that sense. At least Peace Walker was like. You you know you can replay missions you can you can do side missions. Are we counting? You can, you can play as like who cares characters
3: on the side you're missions. You're throwing
2: out Ghost Babel, aka Game Boy Metal Gear. Are we counting that as canon?
3: Not really. Yes, we are. It's it's Raiden's VR training. The most unexpected thing about this game that I wasn't expecting was like the light RPG and like base management part of it, which Mm -hmm. makes it so fulfilling. There are these, like, systems stacked on top of systems, and everything feeds into each other. Mm -hmm. So, like, everything you do in the game is feeding some system that will give you a benefit at some point down the line. And
1: what's interesting is is that system was something that I feel Portable Ops was trying to develop, but to some degree, it Mm. just kept hitting a brick wall with. Yeah. Um, Because even like, something as simple as, like, the Fulton, which is ridiculous when you think about it, right? You strap a a balloon to a a down soldier, they they get lifted off of the ground and sent to your Base instantly. I mean,
0: you know, the Fulton Recovery System is legitimate. It actually exists, just not like yeah, but that. not in
1: that context. It's so it's wacky. wacky. It's so yeah. hilarious. But uh, in portable ops, they did have the same system of hey, you have to kidnap these soldiers, but there was and always a them in truck. Your, your truck. You yeah. had to actually go drag, and, them. drag them there, and then that consumed stamina. And stamina was what w- was what kept you awake during a mission, or at least alive. Um, so it was it was really interesting to see Kojima come in. See the state of you know sort of what Metal Gear was as a portable game in Portable Ops and Portable Ops Plus, and say okay, well we can we can do something different here. And it, you know we we're throwing him a lot of the credit. I'm sure there, there's there's a lot of other people at Koji Pro that were a part of that. too. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. and uh, we can we can talk about this. Uh, Peace Walker is basically what Metal Gear 5 is, but in an open world. Like, all those systems are there, but now there's more freedom. Things aren't chopped up into little, like, bite-sized boxy levels. It's just like, here are these systems that you know. uh, Here are the mechanics that you know. Now have fun in this big world. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, that's very much it. And it surprises me so much that... I'm familiar with that system, but I'm still at the same time like I cannot stop playing it because every action feeds into itself. Right? You go into a base, you pick up these materials, you pick, you kidnap soldiers left and right, and then you go back to your base and you invest all of those points and all of those resources into more weapons that you then take back out into the field. And I think that's really smart. Like that ultimately, that base development stuff. It sucks to be starting again from zero, though. I have to say that with peace, like post yeah, Peace Walker, yeah. having to do all that. But Metal Gear Solid Five seems to, at the same time, get, make you forget that Peace Walker even happened because it's so big and in scale and it's open world. It does seem like a sequel to Peace Walker in a
2: lot of ways, actually. Uh, it,
0: it's not even so much a sequel as, like, the rest of a realization of what <laughs> yeah. Peace Walker should have been. It yeah, was limited yeah. by the platform. And also, you know, there were the, the whole, like, oh, PSP owners love Monster Hunter, so let's make it multiplayer.
3: And there are They moved away from there. There's monster hunter monsters in the game yeah. you can fight. It's really weird. I've, <laughs> yeah. I've not gotten that far yet. I've not unlocked those. Yeah, that was like the the nadir of Kojima's
0: obsession with with cross. <laughs> come on, there've there been ape
2: escape apes. There've been like, oh yeah, ape think, escape. Yeah, but I, I think Toro. mean, Toro was in yeah, Metal yeah. Gear One. More.
0: I I just mean Peace Walker in general, oh. like all the generic items you get in the U.S. version because they were name brand items in Japan, like Doritos and oh, Cal- well, Calorie made I think they kept, but. Like, Doritos and energy drinks and all this stuff. I that, didn't realize those were branded. Yeah, okay. like the, the tortilla crisps or whatever. Like, those were actually Doritos in That's Japan. That's perfect I
3: don't, for a video game.
0: Why did... Yeah. Uh, I don't know.
1: The obsession with branding in Metal Gear also has something that has dri- driven me kind of like, I don't know how to respond to it. Like, even uh, whose bike was it? Uh, it was... Um, what's her name in Metal Gear Solid 3? E- Eva? Mm-hmm. Eva's bike. Yeah, yeah it was... It Triumph, Triumph right? Yeah, Triumph. Oh. Like, it was official. Yeah. It shows God, actually,
0: poor. the Phantom Pain... They're making a a one-the sunglasses. Every
3: time a character puts on (laughs) sunglasses, it tells. Like what the name brand is. Wow. There should be like something you can scan to buy them on the screen, like, I mean, boop, That's you know? very, you know, that's very
2: Japan. Japan's very into high end
0: brand culture. Yeah, I mean, there, there is that. Like, I remember uh, what was that
3: Final Fantasy was it? and um,
0: that, that French fashion magazine, Final yes, Fantasy 13, yeah. Lightning Returns characters. Yeah, wasn't there that
3: game that was like it's like Devil May Cry? The guy wore jeans and the jeans were hey, like, hey, uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh wait, <laughs> of course, of course, by ignition shame is here. is here. Else should
2: I? I would have been wearing Dusevell's jeans if I wasn't in ca- my camo, high camo that's index right. with. A Uniqlo Metal Gear Solid Three shirt, and like you know, up. But I'll say, and like in Japan and here in America now that Uniqlo is here, like Konami's been really good about making Metal Gear fan goods, whether it's T-shirts or just replicas of things. Like if you are a fan, I'd say since MGS One, they've been really good at making high quality good stuff. Like I buy most of the premium editions. Like and as a fan, I felt like they've given me. More so, I would say even than like Final Fantasy, like a
1: high end level of fan good love. Well, aren't you special because they can fit you? <laughs> no, sorry, I'm You're really just too tall. tall, dude. Yeah, it's that's right. that's the problem. I'm jealous, Shane. Uh, no, but going back to Metal Gear Solid Five, uh, I will say though my one disappointment with that game is its story. I feel like it is one of the weaker stories in the Metal Gear you mean Solid, Peace I'm I'm Peace in Peace Walker. Yeah. Oh, it's, sorry, I meant Peace okay, Walker. Yeah. Yes. Well, you're calling it by its original name. I mean, yes. It
2: does fill in some gaps, and like it has interesting characters like Paz. And-
1: but it feels like with Portable Ops, with Portable Ops Plus, and with Peace Walker, they're all about filling in gaps that they don't really make much headway mm-hmm. at all. Like it feels like, yeah, we know that Big Boss is going to eventually turn into a villain, which is the game that it's finally going to happen, and it seems
3: like. It I is it's got to be. be the Phantom Pain. Yeah, it has and to this be is it. now. This is it. I think part of it, Jose, is that like the gameplay is so divorced from the story in Peace Walker, and mm. it, that game is mostly gameplay. So maybe yeah. that's why it's you know connect with it as yep. much.
1: and then it is a uh, QTE driven. That was yeah. the other part of it, where <laughs> they're trying to like give you an active role in. in uh, and they did the same thing in *Metal Gear Solid 4*, where hey, cutscenes are really long, so why don't you press X to get a memory right. of what this uh, person looks like? That, yeah,
0: yeah. No, they did do that. So how do we think the Phantom Pain is going to end? Do we think it's going to end with Big Boss announcing the beginning of Operation Intrude in 313?
1: That's that's what it was called. Um, Shane, you had a really interesting thing at lunch that you said about this ending, sort of, and how it ties into Kojima himself. Well, you know, I'm just I'm curious, because I felt at the end
2: of MGS4, like, there was the chance for him to walk away from this, and he couldn't, because he hadn't finished telling the story he wanted to tell. And... You know, and I felt like at the end of Ground Zeroes I still wasn't fully on board with understanding how this character becomes this villain. And I think that by the end of, of of this game, you know, I need to understand that and I also need to understand like that Kojima is okay closing the book on this thing that he's made and not you know like I I I just feel like it's very hard to resolve this and, I, and I'm glad I don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like, I love the end of The
0: Sopranos and I want this ending to be like that ending.
3: So uh, a journey being played at the end, right? Yes. Okay. What do you my want theory? a co- commercial
0: at the end because that's more appropriate for Metal Gear? Oh god.
3: <laughs> my theory is the game ends as the beginning of Metal Gear 1 with like Snake approaching the base and then there's a DLC option to buy a full remake of Metal Gear 1. <laughs> <laughs> that's my dream. That's my dream. Yeah, so that that was kind of my uh, my my statement aside from the
0: uh, the DLC, that's a good idea. Mm.
3: But there's no one Metal to make and, it anymore. There's a lot of people. They're hiring young oh. young bloods to carry on the Metal Gear. I guess there were people working on it at that event. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess uh, I don't really have a theory per se as to
1: how I feel the Phantom Pain will end. Just because Kojima is so good at just betraying expectations and sort of. Uh, Making you think one thing and then going with a head fake and giving you something else. I guess if I had my choice, I just remember what I wanted. The game I want him to make, which
2: is not going to get made now, was going to be Metal Gear Babies, where it's uh you know the ch- the children of uh of Rose and Raiden and Sunny going on adventures. That's what I want. That's what you want. Post right.
0: credit sequence to be. Wasn't Revengeance yeah. originally going to be like the story of Raiden... Uh, you mean Metal Gear Rising?
2: That that one that got yeah, canceled?
0: Yeah, that was going to be the story of uh, Raiden ca- rescuing Olga's child, Olga's child from the Patriots or the whoever. <sighs> I bet hmm. that
2: script's out there somewhere. That happened like off screen and in four, light. right, or something yes. like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think it was going to be like let's fill in the gaps.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Though I've I've actually kind of lost my interest in that sort of storytelling. Like we don't need to see things that happened off screen. It's okay we can just know that it happened. Mm. It's fine.
1: No, definitely. Yeah, but I do hope just that the end of the Phantom Pain is is absolutely fulfilling. And that's the only thing I really can cling to right now. Uh, Having played it, I will say that I feel that game is going to deliver. I just hope that that Continues all the way to the end. I was really impressed by
2: the stage show at Tokyo Game Show last year, which was like a 45 minute scene. that was very yep. much out of Metal Gear Solid yep. Three. It was in a jungle. Uh, quiet was helping assist you from a helicopter. It was brilliant,
0: and it definitely excited. I think me. on one day it was Quiet helping, and the next day it was, or the previous day it was the Diamond Dog. oh Yes, yeah, I didn't. Right. I didn't see the dog though. I, okay. I saw the Quiet. Demo. I'm, I'm more
2: into Quiet, but yeah.
0: of course you are. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure you have that action figure pre-ordered. Yeah. I just don't like dogs. I understand especially Diamond Dogs. So, final question before we wrap this. Do we think Metal Gear has a future after Phantom Pain, and do we want it to have a future?
1: I kind of want them to close the book on it. Honestly, I want... uh, I, I mean, this is not saying anything of Konami or of Kojima, but I do feel like for a long time, at least him personally, he's been trying to walk away from it, and it looks like now that's happening. And I feel like if this has an elegant enough ending... I'm okay with, like, no series in video games. Marty Sleva, uh, who used to work with us uh, when we were all together, one, uh, always brings up the fact that— still works with you, right? Yeah, he still works with me. That's right. Um, always brings up the fact that a few very few series in gaming ever drop the mic gracefully. They very rarely end, and then that's it. We're not making another one. Like I, I kind of feel like this is an opportunity for Metal Gear to just— for us to move on from Metal Gear, because at the end of the day— I don't think it can get any bigger or any (laughs) better than this based on at least what I have played. Um, So I'm kind of looking forward to them closing the door on it.
3: I totally agree. And I think the worst thing that could happen would be for Konami to sell this IP to someone. Just be like, we don't want to make these games anymore. Who wants to buy this? Maybe they could sell it to Disney. Disney owns everything. (laughs) (laughs) They might as well own it, I guess.
1: I mean, I think uh, I, I do think that we live in a world where there are enough talented people making games that someone could pick up Metal Gear and do something interesting with it. I just don't know if I really want to see that at the end. Same, of the yeah, day. yeah.
3: Same here. Yeah.
0: I actually don't think there's anything left to explore in Metal Gear once you've once you've covered the span of the story from you know um, the, the the you know the Operation Virtuous Mission through Revengeance. Like, all, all the gaps have pretty much been filled in. And do we really want to see the world of Metal Gear beyond Revengeance? It's so, it's so weird and so sci-fi, it might as well not even be Metal Gear at that point. I would
2: say despite my dream of Metal Gear Babies, I agree with the table that I would like to be able to close the book on this franchise that I love and to actually walk away from distance myself from it, which we rarely get to do. I think we're, we're so into sequels and everything that we, you know, we don't want to let anything die. Um, but I would be open, I guess, to the idea of remakes down the road if they were done you know, correctly and lovingly. Even even if Twin Snakes didn't order. end up so well, you know. But mm-hmm. like, imagine someone trying to remake Metal Gear and Solid Snake in mo- in some modern, amazing way, and like getting what's still
0: good about it and like adding to it without ruining it. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. No diac, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this episode and possibly for this franchise. So well done, us. We put a we put a bow on it. Um, Thanks again to both Jose and Shane for showing up. You guys want to tell us about where we can find you on the tubes?
1: Oh, sure. You can find me uh, over at IGN, uh, and I also run a a podcast there called Nintendo Voice Chat, uh, where each week we talk about Nintendo and what is going on with them.
0: And what is your Twitter handle, Jose? You can
1: find me on Twitter at Jose underscore Otero.
0: Or, or do you prefer other forms of social media?
1: No, that's the best way to get to me,
2: okay. if,
0: if, if anything. Wait,
1: wait, wait which, is that a podcast
2: called Nintendo Voice Chat? That's right. The, the one thing not well, You clearly not don't platform. talk about a certain game. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me at uh, Twitter at ShaneWatch, all one word. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. Is that it? That's it. That's it. Please
2: tweet at Shane with photos of Splatoon. (laughs) I don't don't need your uh, Jose is a Squid now fan art. I'm good. Um, You can also occasionally find me on Retronauts, the uh, best podcast for uh, everything ever. Damn right. Damn. Yeah.
3: Bob? I'm online on Twitter as Bob Serbo. I also write for US Gamer and Something Awful, so check that stuff out and it keeps me fed and happy.
0: And you can find me on Twitter as GameSpite. You can find me at USGamer.net where I tell people what to do. Um, I have side projects like GameBoyWorld.com, which are fun and cool, and you should read them. Um, and then, of course, there's Retronauts.com, uh, Retronauts on Twitter, Retronauts on Facebook, Retronauts on YouTube, Retronauts on Twitch, Retronauts on, Twitch, Retronauts on Tumblr. Am I forgetting anything? T-shirts. Re- t-shirts. Get, t- get your T-shirts t- t- on T-shirts. Oh, yeah, you can buy T-shirts on Fangamer. And, of course, this podcast is made possible by public funding through patreon.com go to patreon.com slash retronauts and give us a dollar each month so we can keep making the podcast we'd really appreciate it it'd be awesome of you we gotta pay for equipment and uh, studio space and getting me across the country so that I can sit in a studio and have a good conversation instead of skyping in awkwardly no one wants that so uh, your support makes this podcast possible and it's awesome Um, I think that's about it so Once again, thanks for listening. Check us out. We'll be back next week with a tiny episode.